Hi, I'm Garrett, and welcome to The Conversation. I think conversation is one of the most important tools we have for building and maintaining genuine relationships. In the age of the internet and social media, the conversation is a dying art. While we're technically more connected than ever, it seems more difficult than ever to engage with alternative perspectives in a meaningful way. We talk past each other and speak totally different languages without even knowing it. This show is my attempt at working on that problem. I'm trying to learn how to have meaningful conversation and practice what I learn. It's partly an experiment. Maybe if I start having more difficult conversations, I can get better at it. Maybe we can all get better at it. I don't know how this experiment's going to turn out, but hey, this could be interesting. I guess the, the... Oh, no, see, look at now I'm seeing my screen. <laughs> okay. Well, well this, is, this has taught all of us how to be, like, our own little producers, <laughs> you know? Like. Well, I totally underestimate, uh, underestimate, like, how many things are involved with trying to put together a stupid little podcast. Just any media, right? Like, it, it, it's, it's and, just and incredible. And this has forced everybody to try to learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, and and, and like just awful. watching all these different churches try to figure out, like, suddenly, you know, everybody was kind of, like, tiptoeing around, like, like ah, we're going to have to figure out that media stuff eventually, but, like, mm-hmm. let, let's keep just, you know, focusing on church. And then suddenly, oh, well, now that's all we have, so we better figure it out. <laughs> yes. I, I, I say that... Um well, I had a chat with my spiritual director earlier today, and he's a he's a really cool gentleman. He, he was a Presbyterian minister for a very long time, and is in his uh, either in his seventies or or right about there. Uh, so, just a very cool kind of mentor type relationship. Anyway, um, but we were talking about how this has really been something of a pressure cooker. Like it, it hasn't changed the trajectory of society in any really conceivable way, at least as far as I can tell, but has more just exaggerated the trends that were already there, like sort of accelerated the rate of change, mm. if not the, the direction of it. That's an interesting perspective. Well, I, I mean, at the very least from where I stand within the church, that's what I've been noticing, right? Like just a very, very basic way to sort of test that hypothesis is you look at uh, just, well, attendance. I mean, it's not actual attendance, but it's not the greatest metric. And I have a whole rant I could go on about the way that people <laughs> use statistics in the wrong kind of way. But for this purpose, like, the folks that we know for certain are actually tracking with us in any kind of meaningful way are pretty much the 40 plus crowd, right? Anybody that's kind of my generation or below is hit and missed at best. And most of the people under 20 have not attended a church service since COVID pretty well, right? Like they're, right. they're actual like showing up as it were to the broadcast or, or watching the YouTube video or whatever else is essentially non-existent, right? Which is just interesting. That correlates with the trends that we've seen demographically yeah. anyway, right? Uh, it's just, you know, it's exaggerated. I'll be curious to see once we are done with lockdown stuff or whatever, just how true that actually ends up being or if people are going to, in sort of a wave of conservatism, cling to what used to be uh, in, in a way that kind of perpetuates it further. Or, or Well, it's weird because it wouldn't even take... It, it, like because of going through a situation that has just forced everybody to transform like business models and church models and everything Mm -hmm. models into something different, it wouldn't even be conservatism to go back because it would be like 
that's a different mm. system that we aren't doing anymore. It's like, do we want to go and try out this other system that we've done before? And was it better? <laughs> right. Like it, it, that's still actually a, a stepping forward into something different again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess to use a geography analogy, it, it, it's sort of like we hit the fork in the road and the question is, are we going to continue or are we going to kind of force our way back, whether that's backtracking or just cutting right across, you know, unscouted terrain to try and get back to where we think it was supposed to go, right? Um, it's, an, it's an interesting point. I, I wonder where we'll end up, but anyhow. You, you said, though, like, the 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 trends for, like, attendance in the church were kind of, like, you, you, saw, you saw things kind of go in this direction anyways of, like, people, young adults anyways, kind of just mm. steadily dropping off. Yes. Yeah. I, like, I... I've been trying to understand why, because like I, I literally feel like from my own perspective, being a yeah, like mid twenties something, like I, I feel like I understand the need for church on some level, but I don't feel drawn to it. Oh no, for sure, and I don't know. I, I find myself even so. I, I, I actually, you know, I, I work in a church. My my livelihood at, at this juncture of life is, you know, helping you know young people kind of try and understand this Jesus guy a little bit better, and that of course requires, or at least tends to require, employment at a church. And you know, I'm grateful for that. So, as somebody in the system, I I, I would echo your sentiment, right? There there is something about how church happens that I don't know I'm especially drawn to, and I, I might even liken it to politics, which is not a great correlation. But there's there's something that I see as both necessary and yet completely unappealing about politics in this at the same time that I feel drawn to learn about it and know about it and be involved, right? So th there's sort of um, I don't know, almost like a it's not a necessary a willing, evil, but it's it's <laughs> no, yeah, it, it's almost like um like a, some kind of a, a mistaste or whatever. It's like, it's a flavor I don't like, but that I know I need to eat or something <laughs> like, you know, there, there's something at once like gratifying and yet unappealing about it. Uh, or at least that's how I feel about, about church in general. Right. Maybe well, it's the structures it even as a whole. Like, so uh, bringing it into that food analogy, that actually makes me think mm -hmm. about it a little differently because that is, I think that's the same problem we're struggling with even when it comes to food is that we know what's good for us it's not and like nobody's really wondering what they should be eating. i mean you, you get to like a specific point of like trying out different diets and stuff but like we know we should eat our vegetables and we know we shouldn't eat a lot of you know bad fats and and processed mm. sugars and stuff like that uh but we do it anyways because right. it's so available and it's it's marketed to us in every in, in, in a lot of subliminal and subversive ways where we're just, just like, that's just what we're going to do. On every level of all of the things that we're sort of, you know, depending on what your perspective is, but like we're designed to see value in, all of those sensors for like, oh, community, oh, uh, good food, oh, uh, good, you know, interesting ideas. Like we figured out how to market the most interesting ideas with the least nutritional value hmm. and the most you know exciting flavors with the least nutritional value it's like on every level it, it's t it's becoming more and more difficult to make the right decision about what you should put in your life because there's so hmm. much easy access to, to hyper palatable uh ways to satisfy those desires well and actually it's interesting you say that 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 to me sort of ties in with the 
I mean, I guess we're kind of talking about church at the moment, um, but really more broadly, this idea of societal change and shifts and how we're sort of maybe noticing some of those things. And that idea that um, you, you mentioned marketing and the way that we're sort of turning things, whether it's palatable, right? Whether, whether something can be um, sold or what's its appeal value in whatever way. There, there's a hyper-individualized, consumerized worldview that I think really undergirds most of how certainly how our generation uh, thinks about things uh, and I think by extension how we actually operate within society that is part of this pressure cooker thing I was mentioning where I think that you know COVID has exaggerated those trends so one of the big things that I would point to uh, specifically with, with church attendance but probably this is just true of most parts of life that have been forced online these days that previously were not exclusively online. It's the difference between something being an event versus an episode, right? And that distinction is huge, but we don't, I think, How, fully... Can you define the difference, like an yeah, event yeah, versus yeah, yeah. an episode? So, well, so just to take, say, where I'm familiar but with church attendance or uh, church services, right? If you have something in person that is a service, right? You go to that, you participate in that. It's at a specific time with a particular people. There's a, a limit to when you have access to it. So there's an exclusivity piece to it. Right. So it requires you actually putting it into your calendar, organizing your day around it. And certainly within the context of you know religious services, there's an almost ritual element to that. So it yeah. becomes part of your routine. You do it every day. You drive the same route. You maybe even go right. to the same place after lunch. So that becomes an event, right? Your right. day is structured around this experience that you have, right? Versus the moment you move something exclusively online, our minds make a switch and you're now dealing with a, an episode of a new show, right? It's archived, it's permanent, it's there whenever I want it, it's right. on demand, right? Um, so I, I suppose for for us, we've been trying to navigate this change or- right. um, well, Community is not content. Right. But that's what we've been forced into, right? Like right. it's almost everything is content generation now, like regardless of how passive it, it is, even yeah. work related items to a degree seem to be almost content generation. At least, you know, my, I, I laugh when, when my wife has to try and facilitate these team meetings that she manages, right. In an online forum, right. Or uh, she was on that leave and, and so before oh, congratulations, the Congratulations, by the way. Uh, you know, <laughs> yes, baby number yes. two along the way. I, mean, I, I, we haven't like talked in like no, I know it's two years or so, maybe I don't know how long. No, it, it, yeah, it's just been nuts. Life is insane all around. But um, but sorry, Amy but, was on mat leave. No, no, no. Well, right. But so my my wife was on mat leave prior to this uh, pandemic, and then came back to her role completely remotely now in the pandemic. Right, partway through, or more than halfway through it, I guess. <laughs> Uh, and it's a weird way now to come was, back to it. Well, right. So already that's a jarring change, but now she's got new employees that have been hired that she wasn't necessarily a part of the hiring process for. Right. And now she's having to get to know these people in an online forum entirely, right? Leading a team, managing. So all that to say that there, there's almost a performance quality that comes with being squatted in front of a screen and having to use setups like this. Right. And, and um, so even something as simple as management, not that that's by any means a simple thing, right, right. but something like that almost has these kind of undertones of, of kind of content generation or if or not generation, content management, right? How do I sort right. of, what's my persona? How am I coming across on the screen? And, right. You know, that, that whole that's, attitude. And that's so, so weird. I, I think it it's ex like really, really unhealthy too. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, they're, like the, the social dynamic that content generation forces forces you into, like thinking the way you think about, like even just what you're saying, like thinking about presenting yourself, you're not thinking about presenting yourself to a person. You're thinking about presenting yourself to an audience. Mm-hmm. Which, which is, is like, completely ambiguous, right? It's nobody. An audience right. is literally like, yeah, it's comprised of individuals, but the makeup of which, the the specifics of which you don't know, right? You might be able to guess, you might have some idea, but even a small community, like for, for our congregation, we're somewhere hovering around the 200-ish mark at our church. Um, whereas, sir, okay, which number do you take? Do you take before the pandemic? Do you take now? Which, <laughs> those are two very different potential answers. Right? We had 200 people um, attending, but now we have 500 subscribers. So I don't... Uh, <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> but no, like right there though, like you, you, I think you're speaking to the heart of the matter. Like there's an unhealthy... Um, well, it's not to say... It's not to crap on YouTubers or, or YouTube or, or content generation as it's just, a It's just medium. a different thing. Yeah, like I mean, it's its own. It's entertainment fundamentally, right? Content generation is yeah. entertainment. YouTube is an entertainment platform, primarily, uh, or arguably an advertising platform that's wrapped up in entertainment. But then again, what entertainment isn't just advertising, right? Notwithstanding, um, it's not bad, right? It's its own thing, right? What's what's right. different in this is what you said. It's that social dynamic that's shifted. Yeah. So the actual um, the the mores, right? The this little kernels of sort of societal agreements and, and social inter- interactions and exchanges that we have have shifted, right? Um, and, and to be fair, human beings are pretty adaptable to these sorts of things. We learn yeah. how to communicate in these mediums, and uh, for the most part, we're resilient species, I think, and, and have done a fairly good job adjusting to the times, um, at least more or less. Like there's, there's definitely challenges. Let's not undermine that by any means. Uh, but for certain roles for our or for my line of work where the not-for-profit sector and at that religious education or, or you know you know uh, religious services and so on that's certainly it's kind of what we're all up to right that does not lend itself well to content right the way that we typically think of it like we've found ourselves having to look for wisdom from youtubers or, or just from other yeah. churches or, or faith organizations or whatever that have I don't know, found a way to do this, right? We, have we have you figured out any ways to kind of break past the the audience producer dynamic? Like like no. just even reaching out people to people individually or well, okay, so yes. Um but I, I suppose it, my personal opinion, this is by no means the stance of the, the, the church that I serve, but um my personal opinion is that we haven't. I, I don't I've yet to discover uh say a church or even, even like i don't know any entity really like politicians yeah. are, are are not adapting to this well either like cnn interviews tend to be kind of cringy these days with people's backgrounds looking the way they do uh, i mean we're managing we're getting by and everyone has a lot of grace for one another and that's all good stuff but no as an as an organization as an institution um i mean institutions by their very nature are supposed to change slowly right right very quick seismic shift tends to collapse yeah businesses, whatever, right? So there's a there's something at odds between our own personal or societal flexibility or malleability, right? The, the social exchanges that we're able to have with one another, there, there's resiliency and, and ingenuity there that at an institutional level, I think is just not up to par. And how could it be, right? Like in, in a way, like how do you take something like a classroom and suddenly make that entirely online and have it be even remotely close to what people are used to experiencing from the institution of school, 
right? What you're, what you, you can't take the institution of school and make it online purely overnight or, or over a couple of weeks and have students have the same experience. What you have to do is take the concept of education and rework it's, that for yeah. an online medium, right? right. That, is a, that is a difficult task to do when you've got employees, tax obligations, right. laws written that entrench certain practices and requirements, bus schedules that support the entirety of a small business, you know, mentality within yeah. our culture. Like it's, it's You're using pervasive. a system to meet a problem that it utterly was not evolved to meet. Precisely. And, and so how, how specialized to do something and it's not this. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, in that regard, grateful that schools are back in person in Ontario these days. That's, you know, that's good to see. Uh, but the point still stands. The institution of school was very slow to adopt online learning to begin with. I mean, one yeah. of the greater ironies of this whole thing that I think is hilarious, if, if you recall, in, in Ontario, before COVID happened, we were in the middle of a strike across the entire province and there were there were two right. primary issues that were going on in that strike right, right? Okay. Uh, if i can remember i don't, I don't this. actually know what the, what the issues were and, and so th this is I'm, based on my limited recollection without looking up notes and whatever else right but um there's two issues of primary importance as i understood them um, one of which had to do with uh, class sizes and the other had to do with online learning and the teachers mm -hmm. We're taking issue with the province's stance on making classes larger. They said, no, we actually need smaller classes, uh, which is a point right. that I would agree with, you know, point yeah. teachers. But then the government was actually saying that they wanted to make an online class mandatory. Like every student would have to take at least a certain percentage of courses online in order mm -hmm. to facilitate their digital learning skills because of the direction that school was moving, right? So okay. for university and so on, so many people were finding themselves ill-equipped for online learning, right? Uh, and I just, I find the outcome of that to be entirely hilarious, right? Like you've got um, the teachers won out on the class sizes issue and they absolutely lost on online learning, right? So, uh, you both had good points and we've found some kind of agreement whether we wanted to or not, right? The Lord judged. Um, well, right, I, perhaps, but, uh, but there you have it. I mean, that, that's... Um, I think an interesting example where the systems as they were, were at almost a, an effective gridlock, right? Like to have a rolling strike across the full province has been a long time since anything like that happened. I, I don't believe in my entire schooling system. So since 91, I don't believe there was a uh, an instance of a rolling strike, at least not that I can remember. They're always regional. Um, so there you have an example where the system as it was, was at an effective gridlock and yet it's been forced to shift. It's been forced to evolve in a way that it already was trending, but that institutional um, resilience, or, or if you want to call it that, was preventing any kind of meaningful traction, right? Um, so it's, it's interesting. Like, I, I mean, there are some people that might look at this whole COVID lockdown thing as all bad. I, I don't know that it is. I think that it's really neither here nor there. COVID is itself kind of a, a non-issue or non-sequitur when it comes to the actual cultural problems we're discussing. Mm -hmm. It's merely the catalyst on which all of those reactions have been sort of taking place. It's not the thing itself. It would have happened on its own over time. This just made it happen faster. I think like any stressor though, it's like it can cause you to get to where you need to be faster or to move forward faster, but also to all of the the many people who, or businesses and institutions who aren't equipped to, to get there or just don't have the resources mentally, emotionally, community-wise, physically, mm -hmm. uh, financially if they didn't have the resources to make it to that this next step it was just like this is just a mass apocalypse of 
many people's journeys towards something. And it's just, sorry, you got to start yeah. back at square one. It, well, I mean, it, it's interesting that you that you say that. I mean, I suppose I would suggest that it it probably was inevitable, and and that that might be a bit of a hard stance to take, actually. But um, presumably, if folks struggled to make the adjustment to a primarily online format, if that's the issue, right? So I'm not here referring to you know uh, brick and mortar businesses to the same degree, right? Uh, places like um, restaurants and so on that are, are that they require clientele. So I'm mm -hmm. not referring to those businesses, um, but other forms of business that are capable of moving online. If if they have struggled to do that, right? Probably they were going to fail. This was the push. Yeah, yeah. like it, it's kind of you know writing was probably already on the wall, and maybe you could have milked out another couple of years without COVID having happened. Yeah. Um, but but likely the changes were already there. It's just they happened sooner right. than you might have expected. That's right. I guess my point. So I guess it's not I, I'm to looking talk at to restaurants and stuff like at that. a lot of like individuals like looking at people who who are trying to start university right as as COVID yeah. lockdowns began and it's like all the really really vital communities for for establishing yourself and establishing a network and being able to have a profitable time. And on a university on a university campus, none of that happened. And looking also at a lot of, I mean, I work with like teaching young mm -hmm. kids, mostly young kids, some some older kids, um, music, and just looking at a lot of them, the way their social development has taken a huge dip. In that, like, mm -hmm. for, I mean, for one thing, like they they have to figure out how to do everything online, which is just not the same. Like you said, it's not the same engagement, not the same social mores. And so they're they're missing a huge. I mean, like you said too, like people are are resilient, and especially kids, probably mm -hmm. more I, than we give them credit for. Yeah, I I, I guess I'm I'm kind of scared about it, but I I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're maybe they're going to make it through all right. <laughs> it's, well, it seems I mean, concerning to me, anyways. No, I, I definitely echo your sentiment, and I just I just want to like clarify. I my heart absolutely breaks specifically for university students. Um, like anybody sort of 17, 18, 19, that's trying to make those first forays into sort of young adulthood. That's the age group that I'm most concerned about yeah. just because they've already been dealing with, you know, unaddressed mental health concerns at a epidemic level. Right. And I, I don't use that term lightly. Like it really is. There's a mental health crisis in Canada, certainly. And I would say probably the West in general, um, if not even just globally, but, uh, that was kind of lurking under the surface already to an enormous degree, and this just right? Well, so we talk about, that, yeah. And that's what I mean. So when we talk about like I, I use this metaphor of a pressure cooker, I just I feel feel for some reason it's a helpful one. Mm. Uh maybe not, but already you've I, got I think those I, see, I I didn't get what you were saying with it at first, but I see it's like kind of just distilling everything down to these are what the actual issues were. Well yeah, like you're 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 making you're you're taking all of this atmosphere and just making it dense and and like it, it's primed to blow in a way, right? Like a pressure cooker is not unlike a pipe bomb if it fails. Mm -hmm. uh, but never minding that. Uh, <laughs> I that, mean, that, that might be an important part of the metaphor. <laughs> it, could, it could be. But the, uh, I mean, I, I just, I think of people in, in my own close circles that have, that I know have been struggling, maybe even just dabbling, if we want to call it that, not necessarily struggling, if they were dabbling with mental health, which is a terrible way to describe it. But, um, you know, faltering from time to time. I'm dabbling with self-diagnosis anyways. Well, I mean, that's its own. Oh gosh, do we <laughs> want to go down that rabbit trail? Who knows? Um, I, I will say this. I, I, I lament the fact that 
we have a, a clinical vocabulary with respect to mental health and just our understanding has been so clinicized, if that's a word I can, I don't know if I can invent that or if it already exists, but this clinical understanding I think has not been helpful because people will say, oh, I'm depressed when what they actually might mean is I'm particularly sad today. Yeah. And that's not a one-to-one -one equivalence, right. but in the way that we talk about it, yeah. it seems that way. So no. I don't want to go too really far down that. that's the really frustrating thing because then... I mean, there's a ton of topics that are struggling with that same kind of issue of just a lack of nuance, I guess, talking about any any sort of issue. M most of the social issues I think we're trying to discuss right now, I, I think it's, this is this is my current theory anyways, that, that like, for yeah, some reason, and maybe it's just my own personal narrative of just becoming a young adult and starting to feel like I have to pay attention to social issues a little bit more, but yeah, I, I that's feel like... part of it, for sure. <laughs> there, there's a, a sense of like... Uh, I think there's too many issues on, on, on my plate anyways. I may, maybe I can't speak for everyone, but I, may, maybe I can a little bit as, a, as, as somebody who's part of everyone. Um, <laughs> but, You're right. You are part of everybody. Right. <laughs> but everyone includes it, you when, when sometimes. There's like <laughs> expectation to have an opinion on everything, especially... I mean, the, the everything's that are that are important to us now, or that are showing up in, in the news and, and on social media and stuff. These are like institutions, or or these are like practices. These are, are are difficult things, like things you actually can be an expert on and have a technical discussion of, like talking about politics or talking about medical development, talking about mm -hmm. mental health, talking about like. Uh, the, the, or economics, or, or like redistribution, or or. Mm -hmm race theory i don't know there, there's so so many topics that were sort of asked to have the and, and you have to have the correct opinion of these things or else you might run into some serious trouble when you're living in the the massive room of people pointing and ready mm -hmm. to judge at somebody called the internet right right it's like you have to suddenly have an opinion on all these things but you you don't obviously obviously don't have the time to actually think through your opinion on all these things because there's way way too many of them and they would require you to actually do it full time i mean potentially <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think the one well perhaps two things that maybe come to mind um we'll see if it's only two things but <laughs> i think what you're describing at least in part is um well well twofold one is a lack of critical thought right and that's not to say that people are stupid i think that um, people are lazy thinkers Right, which is a very different thing than intellect. I'm just, I'm afraid that like people wouldn't have been as lazy as they were encouraged to be by give it, being given such a large problem to deal with. I think well, if you give so, some, if you if you scale up the difficulty of the problems that, that you give people gradually, and I mean it, that that's has a lot to do with like you know creating a, a video game that people actually want to play. You really have to pay mm -hmm. attention to to that. What what do you call it? The um, difficulty curve, right? Something like mm -hmm. that. It's like, I, I don't think we've figured out, we've been paying attention to scaling our difficulty curves when it comes to like interacting with, with social issues. Well, to be, to be fair, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'd go so far as to say that that's quite the case. I, I think perhaps what you might be describing there is merely just the frequency of messaging. And I think that it's perhaps more that than the actual difficulty of the subject itself like mm -hmm. this, i don't think that subjects are any more complex today than they were 100 years sure. ago right they're, they're as challenging to try and parse out and 
adequately navigate, partly why they still exist today, right? Like they're right. challenging subjects to deal with. But more um, like you just described an enormous list of right. varied subjects, all of which I would say are pressing issues in our culture today, right? It's not to say that they weren't before, right? But you know, issues of, well, see, sort of I, race I think the equity, key difference is just the stakes are higher in this moment because you're the potential lashback you can get is not just the person you're talking to in front of you saying, mm, that's a dumb idea. It's everyone. Like you're connected right. to a massive sprawling social network. Right. And, and so actually, so the, the point that I was um, endeavoring to make about just sort of lazy thinking, I, sorry, I think I it's actually connected. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. This is great stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the point a little bit about um, lazy thinking, it, it's not so much that people are, are um, inactive out of a sense of like not, not caring or apathy outright, right? But I would say more exhaustion. And I think it's connected to this thing that you're talking about here with, you know, if, if you're exposed to these ideas of such magnitude with such frequency, right? Like we're here talking about probably daily in your newsfeed, you're seeing something political, something mm -hmm. ideological, something that's, you know, touching on this is unjust or un not, not right, right? right? Uh, so the the frequency of that messaging, I think, makes people a little bit calloused to engaging it, right? Otherwise, you'd right. be heartbroken, right? Yeah. Um, so so it, it's not to say that people aren't engaging the issues. I think that people are, uh, but I also think that messaging frequency makes people tune a deaf ear or turn a deaf ear to it sometimes, um, or they just can't be bothered, right? So it kind of you kind of raise it. Well, what's the point? There's too many things to deal with, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna you know oh I saw these headlines. I'm not gonna think too much about it. Hence. The laziness. So I think that they're definitely connected factors, but they're so STEM focused, so science focused, totally. That we're we're analytical to a to a fault in a lot of areas, and we forget the nuances of just humanity. Right. right. That what it, what does it mean to be human? That is probably the biggest question of the day. Yeah. But schools are not addressing it. Because not even schools are, not even attempting to wrestle with it. Well, and to be like, I I, I empathize like to an extent. I, admittedly, I have very strong and also very negative views of education these days as a whole. And I have to be careful about how intensely I come across with that stuff. Cause sure. truth be told, we, like we, we were just describing the struggles that, you know, teachers and politicians and so on have sure. to make simple sure. curriculum changes, yeah. right? So the, the institution is slow to react or to respond, we should say, to the needs yeah. of a society. So there has to be grace across the board for how for sure. curriculums get built and what decisions get made. So, with that disclaimer said, I'm I'm really disappointed with what I see in in the core subjects, if we call them that. Um, English is one subject, right? One subject area, and that comprises uh, grammar, language arts altogether, story, uh, creative writing and fiction, um, literature, poetry, uh, spelling, and any other <laughs> remotely linguistic concept. I remember trying to understand what was English in like middle school and high school. It's like, wait, th these aren't sub separate subjects. This is all just English. Well, it's lumped together. Like I, I would, I would look at that. Look at the favoritism towards STEM subjects, right? And you'll right. notice the disparity immediately, right? So STEM, if if, um, if listeners don't know, is science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. So those four key subject areas all of which happen to relate to science, technology, like, anyway, whatever. Sure. Where jobs are. It makes sense that they would be focused the way that they are. There's a lot of demand for jobs in those skills. <laughs> but they don't address questions of the nature of humanity, philosophical ponderings, yearnings for something more, all of those kind of you know, fundamental storytelling um, 
components of the human experience right. as far back as our our history allows us to know. Um, so those questions are are missing. So when you lump all that together in just English class, right? And I, I'm I'm here not saying that other yes, these subjects exist in some schools. They'll have philosophy or fiction writing, whatever. Um, they aren't core. So the classes that every person going through school has to take, English is the only class that involves like deliberately critical thinking and artistic um, ideological formation. Like you're, you're dealing more with the, yeah. with the process than the result. An essay is more about how you construct an argument than whether or not you're right. 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 So it's not results oriented. It's process it's oriented. Yeah, it's, like our creativity almost. Oriented. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I wouldn't say it's the only place, but it's certainly one of the only places that you see that done in a very deliberate way. Um, and even then I, I wouldn't say it's done insufficiently, but, Nonetheless, English class, that takes place. Most other places, it doesn't. Uh, so you're dealing more with, do I know the information? Do I have the right equation, right? Or even in history, a lot of the time, um, you can get swept up into sort of weird straw men rewritings of the discipline uh, or else just trying to pass the tests. Do I have the dates? Do I have the information that I need, right? Um, English class, it doesn't matter, right? How well you know the story or whose names were what. Maybe there's some points to that, but the big big marks are, did you write an essay that makes sense, mm -hmm. right? So um, there, sorry, I, I was trying to make a, a point about the actual disparity between the courses offerings. So just for example, consider that science, if you just had science as a subject, people would think you're mad, right? right. Imagine, <laughs> oh, like, I, I have science There's so class. many sciences. Well, I've got, I've got uh, you know, one week on physics, one week on chem, one week on biochemistry, which is a separate, maybe, one well, week on really, ecology. And really, we ought to include, math is, is, part of, is part of science, too. So you cover math real quick in one week, too. Maybe three days on math. Um, <laughs> it's nonsense. And we laugh. We think, oh, that's so foolish. But that's what we've done to, you know, grammar, rhetoric, oratory, composition, right? right? Poetry, philosophy, like those concepts are missing and you, you could you could take well, the English and I think nut because and it's it a ways. not nearly as easy to generate revenue based on those things like the, there's well, the classic idea of the starving artist is like that, that that's what that's what the capitalist boomer says about any of the arts <laughs> is just oh don't do the arts you're going to be starving there's there's no money in that and it, right. it and is a real problem because it's not as easy to like for some reason I mean the because it, art's mass produced and it's not just like uh, because art I guess because art is digital it's mm. it's mass produced without any almost any cost for like as far as the race the, the there's no there's no production cost basically there, there's a very small production cost but you can virtually if you write the best song everybody in the world can have the best song it's not just people in proximity of you if you make really good butter Mm -hmm. The people around you who can buy your butter. <laughs> right. So th there is definitely an, an intrinsic pragmatism, just sort of a practicality to how people think when it comes to these things. But it, it's, it's nonetheless interesting. I would just sort of supplement that analysis that I actually agree with and, and despise at the same time. I hate that it's true. <laughs> um, and yet, who are the highest paid individual persons in in sort of public sure. knowledge, right? Like, yeah, yeah, we might be able to name a couple billionaires that we happen to know about, but largely speaking, we're here talking about athletes and musicians, if maybe these days less musicians, but certainly movie actors, right? Large, big name yeah. actors. These are household names, people that we know, faces mm -hmm. that we know. 
incredibly successful, well-paid individuals, right? right? The industry as a whole, there's a tremendous amount of just practical money in that, right? And those are, I would say, yeah, they're mostly entertainment, but it's still- It's just that the Pareto distribution has totally, totally yes. taken over that that industry where literally the, the top 1% gets all of the revenue and everybody else shares, gets 99% of the revenue in that last 1% of a very profitable you know, industry has to the all the ninety nine percent has to share that one percent of additional revenue, which is still. I mean, I'm getting by. <laughs> sure, but but so th there's a few things that emerge, kind of framework that that takes place in order for somebody to become world famous in the first place. Yet there's still a very, if not lucrative, a very real music scene or culture of a particular area or region of of, of the world. I, I think of places like, um, I don't know, Germany, just comes to mind that have very specific expressions of folk music or, or whatever. There's, there's very distinct cultural markers, right? In places like North America, where our culture is a little bit newer, a little bit less uh, tried and true, you could say. It's, it's, it's just, it's a more recently settled area with whatever. Don't need to bore you with all that history. But the premise here is that um, those cultural markers have not been set in stone the same way. So in North America, it's kind of a make it or break it, right? You have to be big everywhere or you're big nowhere, right? That's sort of how we engage with yeah. things these days. Certainly these days. It might have been true before, but you have to make it in LA or New York or both if you ever actually want to be a celebrity, I suppose. Um, but all I mean to say is that there definitely is a lucrative component to artistry of a kind, right? It, it, granted, probably isn't everybody, right? Um, but not every uh, entrepreneur is the Jeff Bezos, and it's odd that we would compare them to that, right? It's, it's a little bit bizarre that our, our concept of, oh, we have to be world famous to be successful, right? That that deters most folks from encouraging somebody to pursue art of a kind. And I here mean art very broadly. I don't mean yeah. visual art or whatever. I mean things like you know poetry, dance, drama, music, uh, sculpture, uh, philosophy, mm -hmm. even just... I don't know, even something like this, I would call this art, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's things like that, that I think get a, get a shaft because we think of them as impractical, which is yeah. just, I think it's a lie. I, I think it's a, well, I mean, you, you brought up the point that, you know, you're, yeah, you're getting by and you can make it and yet these people will disparage, you know, artists I'm, as a whole. Right. And it's like, and I'm not getting by because I'm, you know, I've got a big following on Patreon that's paying me a certain amount right. of money per, which that's become a model that's worked for some musicians, but it forces you then to, you have to become a sort of a, a musical cover populist where you just write the sort of yep. music that people are willing to, to, to pay monthly for because they want to hear covers of their favorite pop songs. And it's like, if you, if I want to engage in, in sort of genuine classical singer, songwriter, folk musician mm. artistry, I can't really do that unless I'm the top one 1% of best people at doing that. Right. And I think that to, to me, that signals not so much that, oh, well, these things are bad and shouldn't be done because, and most people probably aren't saying that they're bad, but they, they would imply that they're, they're not something well, that ought to be pursued I, I in, think in this, a, a professional sense. Yeah. But I think thinking about this problem is really important because this is like, this is how content markets work, especially. And, mm -hmm. and, if that's where almost every, especially this is what's terrifying to me is that this is where, you know, this is where our religious communities are heading as well. Mm. And then have headed probably if we're talking in the right. United States for sure. Yeah. I mean, and I mean, I, I'm, I had a friend recommend me to read this book about kind of the, the history of the evangelical church. And he traces this trend all the way back to like the 1700s. 
anybody wants to mm. specifically tie it to the separation of church and state, which is in his mind, that that was kind of the beginning of, of the church and the gospel beginning to enter into a free market rather than an established hierarchy of, of like teachers and who trusts mm. who and stuff like that. And as soon as, as soon as you apply a free market to almost anything that that's like, that's where the Pareto distribution problem takes over. Right. Suddenly those, those who it's like, there's no, well, I mean, I guess I, I thought about this problem from a couple different angles, but it's just like, it, it becomes about who's best at presenting their material, not not who has the sort of the most meaningful material. And when it's it comes no to substance, about popularity, right? Exactly. And so, if if that's where, if that's where, if if church is becoming content, if spiritual connection and and like understanding God, philosophy, all these things, all like I mean, these are all of the sort of the art disciplines, all of the I don't know. The how do you even want to categorize it? Them. Like, sorry, the humanities, the humanities. The term. Okay, right. yeah. So, so all, all of the humanities the are are becoming taken over just by people who are good marketers. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I would suggest that they've been reduced to that, not so much Re yeah, taken over reduced to marketing, as, exactly, because it's, yeah, okay. I mean, and, but and so what, has, how do you, like, if for one thing, do you see it that way? And if so, how do you solve a problem like, like free market distribution? <laughs> well, I think that, see, so, and as bleak as some of this conversation has been, there's also, I think, a lot of a lot of hope, or at least glimmers of of hope, that give me a, a bit of pause and, um, I don't know, I guess levity maybe is the word. Like I, I see glimpses of things, and I go, okay, wait, there's there's something to this. Um, so, I, but first, let me backtrack. So, yes, I, I do see it that way. I think that um, we severely underestimate the degree to which marketing has affected the way we think. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I, I think that that's a, a really significant point that probably merits its own exploration outright. Um, but definitely, like Madison Avenue advertising, you want this consumer-driven um, economies and, and all kinds of things over the past maybe 50, 60 years uh, is huge in just how, as a population, like across the globe, we all think of things. It's very different than it used to be. Yeah. Uh, so that that's a really, I think, significant part of all this. Um, in terms of how do we how do we fight that, or, or if, if fight's not really the right word, how do we sort of you know resist how do we course or, correct anyways? Yeah, or how, how do we how do we navigate right the situation that we found ourselves in as a society? And the it's not an easy answer. I don't know that I have a good answer, but things that give me hope are are things like you know millennials and below in particular who seem to care a lot about things like supply chain ethics. Right, that's something that is is huge in my um, I'm hugely convicted right. about. Like, it's something I really want to pay attention to and do where possible. I try to pay attention to. Yeah. But I'm woefully, I'm woefully in it, ignorant when it comes to how all that stuff works. And yet, there's a deep desire to know more. Right. Right. So, holding companies accountable for how their shoes get made. Right. Yeah. Stuff like stuff like that. There's there's sort Which, of this grass. It's it's just weird because suddenly this is a problem. It, it, I don't I don't feel. I mean. I think it just it used to be harder to get away with the amount of of large scale corruption that that institutions are, are, are almost just like it's considered the norm be because it's so easy to externalize our our misdeeds. Basically, it's like we can we can run a really pristine looking Walmart in America and have all of the products made in, in a I don't, I don't know if, if Walmart is specifically a source of of this 
bad scenario, but mm. like you, you can run a really, really beautiful looking business that looks just totally like fine on the outside, looks like everybody's happy and smiling and everybody's happy with their work conditions and have all the products be totally outsourced to another country, totally taking advantage of their, you know, yeah. more lax labor laws. And it's like, it's, there, there's not a visual connection because it's like, it's literally somewhere else. It's so far disconnected. Like the, the final destination, the actual interaction, the face-to-face interaction with the institution is so disconnected from their actual practices that it's very difficult to, you know, like, sorry, I, I'm interrupting you, but you're- Oh, no, 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 not at all. No, it's, it's, it's a good point. I think you're describing, it's a sign of the times, right? It, we, we live in a world so categorized by greed and really consumerism, right? This idea that I need to buy things or, or have a, you know, what's, what's the um, Walmart logo, right? It's uh, save money, live better, right? right? <laughs> so really just like full on playing into this idea of greed and, and I want more stuff for less money, right? right. I mean, that's another way to phrase that same thought, right? But anyhow, um, I think that you're speaking to the fact of, well, the disconnect, it's this, this duality or even duplicity to how we engage society. And I think corporations are really just reflecting what's already the case in most of our personal value systems anyway, right? Whether we like it or not, all of us probably live very duplicitous lives without intending to. We, we live yeah. one way or say one thing, and then in a different context or a different account or whatever it is right. we we have a very different way of right. living or, or operating or thinking or right. something to that degree which the less intimate we have to be with our peers the more right. walls we're able to hide behind the more we give ourselves an easy space to be duplicitous well yeah, it's, it's accountability right like, are you actually accountable to the people or not right. if you're not well i can get away with whatever what are the consequences who cares but like the, there's when when you're the people that you're serving and the people that you're uh, employing the people that you're interacting with through your business endeavors and through your life endeavors, mm-hmm. you literally are face to face interacting with them. They can read your micro communications. Mm-hmm. They can see when you're uncomfortable, when you're when you're when you're being dishonest, or or when you're like there's there's a, there's there's a forced accountability when when you're when you're interacting with the people that you're serving or that you're or that are your clients, but right when we have so much of a, it's like we've spread ourselves out to be as big as the entire globe, every single person, their, their personality extends because of their, the ability through the abilities through the internet. We have so like, it, it's such an easy and such an alluring position to just externalize all of your, all, all of your, all, all the bad stuff that you don't want people to see, put on a nice face. And it's like, it, it, I don't know. It, it seems maybe, I, maybe I'm just whining, but like, it feels like it's easier <laughs> To be it within religious terms, it's easier to just be a really sinful jerk, mm. and it's getting easier. We're, we're building the scenario to encourage people to be crappy. Um, maybe I, I suppose I would look at it that I, I, again. I, I don't think that people have really changed all that much, right? I, I'm not by any means cynical in that respect. I just the more but that I, I don't think it's the people. Like I'm wondering about the environment. Well, no, no, for sure. So notwithstanding, you know, the climate, I guess, if you want to call it that, pun intended, is very <laughs> different than perhaps it once was. Um, but but people fundamentally have very similar themes that sort of govern our behavior, our motives, our, our interactions with one another. And I, I don't know that I would say, for example, that, you know, 
the the North America of 2021 is somehow more corrupt than the North America of 1921, right? I, I would say they're probably very similar, and it's not not so much a matter of substance, but of degree, right? Um, and or or even just like like it's the same stuff. It's just you know how 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 loud is the volume, right? Like, there's right. something to the idea that oh, Bezos for example, could be this, you know, trillionaire or yeah. whatever his wealth is accumulated to in the seconds yeah. we've been talking. He's made billions <laughs> of dollars probably, but um, he, somebody like that could exist. That concept feels very different because it's it's extreme. It's magnified right. to sort of the nth degree, but that's that's no no different than uh, a, a Warren Buffett back in the 70s or, sure. or then, oh gosh, Rockefeller back at, at the turn of the century, right? Mm -hmm. it, it's a very wealthy mogul who yeah. capitalized on an opportunity and people do that right so I, I i think that in that respect yeah there's a lot of kind of nasty bits to things that we're aware of and again i, I think the internet has in some ways been more of a curse than a, than a blessing in in this regard we're aware of all this extra corruption to the point we get tired of hearing it we, we, we get worn to it we get raw to the idea um but at the same time there's all kinds of really interesting stories that are the flip side of that that likewise benefit from the medium and and so if, if you know let's not harp on the internet too much it's a tool and a hammer can be a weapon or a construction right. implement depending on how you use it right so the, yeah. the tool here the internet is, is fine in its own right it's a question of how does it get um, applied right and to what degree does it get reined in and really the probably the bigger pervasive question around i mean the internet as a whole is how do you govern a system that's by definition interconnected to every yeah. jurisdiction on the planet, well, right? But see, this this is the thing: is so using the tool analogy, I think, is great. It's just that, like, even really really simple comparison with a five year old child, the knife that you give them that you're willing to mm -hmm. let them experiment with and learn how to use is significantly duller than the knife that you would let a surgeon use, for sure, right? But the knife that everybody has, there's no barrier to entry. Everyone has the maximum ability to, well, not maybe the maximum, but it's like there, there's no scaling of responsibility. Right. A 13-year-old is as pronounced or prominent potentially as a you know 35-year-old or right. a 90-year-old. Or, or right? there are 13, there are 7-year-olds who have 30 million subscribers on YouTube. Sure. And it's sure. like that is, I mean, I, I guess... I don't know. Historically, there's people who are in royalty, and maybe this is the the, the, the new version. It's of not royalty, unlike that, right? But, yeah, it's not unlike that. But it seems that there's, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it's an absolute, like for sure. Like, let's not let's not by any means underplay the degree to which the internet has shifted society. Like, right. like we absolutely can't, right? And actually, even more than the internet is really the smartphone. The the, the smartphone yeah. is. To, to society a force probably on par or greater than the industrial revolution right yeah. which if you're not a big history buff when people figured out how to use coal to make steam engines yeah. the world changed pretty fast yeah yeah um, and the smartphone has done that for society in a way that i don't think we can fully appreciate potentially even in this century right, right? But that you know that that's a tale for other historians to tell it's it, it's <laughs> it's all very very messy but i think Ultimately, um, like I was sort of mentioning, that there are still these glimmers of hope in what we would call a very bleak climate. Um, you know, people are able to um, make, say, individual products. So to go back, sorry, to the um, supply chain example, if we were to yeah. just sort of stick with okay. that for the sake of continuity, um, 
yes, like supply chains are, are incredibly corrupt in a way that we're now very aware of, right? And, and maybe people are trying to figure out that more and be more mindful. Well, the internet is a place that has allowed for people to think more locally in a very accessible mm -hmm. way, right? So I'm able to find out, oh, is there a local food shop that sources things locally more or less in my area? Yeah, sweet. It's actually around the corner from my apartment. Right. Awesome, right? Yeah. Um, so there are... The the biggest, I, sorry, I, I don't want to harp on this too long. I have other stuff I want to talk to you about too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's. let's. I, I, I guess I, I view it through the lens of okay, we weren't expecting a pandemic like this. Some some people who actually studied this were this sort of thing, like epidemiologists were expecting it, but well, I wasn't. Can, sorry, but before before you jump into that, I do want to absolutely continue. But just you mentioned people expecting it. There is an eerie video of um, uh, Obama actually like maybe 10 years ago okay talking about this very thing right so he was he was he was taking taking flack from reporters about the the um sorry this is totally like derailing things here, yeah no 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 no. i, I love but this there, there's there's a uh, yeah he was taking flack from a reporter if i understand the context correctly about that task force that he made that or that he and biden made that was supposed to prepare the united states for a global catastrophe of this kind Right, that got disbanded by the Trump presidency within its first year in office, I believe. So he would be. There's a video of him taking questions from reporters, where he's saying like, "There's could be a situation where we're going to have a deadly, airborne, you know, contagion that's potentially, you know, anyway." If you watch that in like 20, 2020, and you're like, "Holy crap!" Like, yikes. Yeah. Well, see, yeah, see, it, it's a surreal moment. What, what I'm <laughs> concerned about is that I feel like at this point, especially with the the very real example we have of the year 2020, it should not be difficult at all to prophesy that any sort of virus that wants to get around can. Our networks mm -hmm. are way too connected. We have no meaningful way of dealing with viral viral sicknesses when they, when they come up. If COVID had actually been really bad, we would be really, really screwed. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and to be fair, it is really bad. Um, I mean, I, I would just, I'd say I would, if it had been, I mean very physically if it was like, like ebola level yeah sure that's that's what i Maybe, mean yeah. bad yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i'm saying but it, no, like i would say that the the length of this lockdown as frustrating as it's been is actually i think a testament to humans ability to cooperate as frustrating as it's been with anti-maskers and, and vaccine questions now that people are asking and you know I, I get really tired of it admittedly but like in ontario at the very least the government was overwhelmed by the response of the population who said, okay, we're going to cooperate, right? Overwhelmingly so, to, to the point that they actually mm -hmm. undermined their opinion among the population mm -hmm. because things didn't get as bad as it should have gotten because people right. were willing to actually yeah. participate. So anyway, just a silver, silver yeah, yeah, lining, yeah. maybe, maybe. Um, but Which, any, and just anyway. to, qu to quickly, like, I, I wonder if maybe part of the difference between Canada and the States' response to the situation is that Canada has a smaller population. So we, we might have a, a deeper sense of a connection to our government because it's like, I don't know, that's just mm -hmm. a really loose thought. But um, Well, I mean, yeah, how far down that rabbit trail do you want to go? But yeah, really I, I have somewhere else I actually wanted to go with this. But uh, so as far as like, apparently Obama was expecting, <laughs> expecting the pandemic. Someone saw it coming. But th this is the, this is, like, it's obvious that, okay, if we get a sufficiently viral virus mm -hmm. going and we have supply chains that are global and nobody is independent on any front or almost any front, 
Like we're more connected than we've ever been at, at, at higher speeds than they've ever been before, right? Mm -hmm. Then viruses, if they're bad and they're contagious, they just spread to everyone. And so picking up that little plot that we have of the map and setting it down on the other map of our, you know, our mimetic evolution, any sufficiently viral idea spreads way, way faster than anybody can contain it. This is our problem with fake news. This is our problem with, you know, I mean, it's, it's the problem with the music industry too, is, as far as like, you know, a few people taking over everything, but it's like the few most viral, the, 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 the few ideas that know how to market themselves best, whether or not they're extremely dangerous, spread way, way more quickly than rationality or intuition can manage to, to slow things down. And it's like... That's true. The, I, the only barrier or the only way I see of slowing things down again and it's that's maybe we can we can use this as kind of a little segue because I think the only way dumb ideas get sanded down from my own head is by sitting down and having long chats with friends sure. <laughs> I think there's just at least at least I can say from my life maybe I can speak from everyone's life but I need to talk to people more and I need to learn how to listen better and I need to learn how to talk better. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that actually speaks to something we touched on before, which is this charitability piece, right? The the willingness to to hold your own ideas in suspense while you charitably and critically engage somebody else's perspective, right? Whether or not you agree doesn't necessarily matter. It's did you give them a fair go? Did they, you know, have a, a decent chance to hear? And did you mm -hmm. listen? Right. Right. All of those kind Which, of conversational bits. <laughs> that's sort of analogous to the to the incubation period of of the virus. It's like if you just let it sit a little bit longer, like with with people who are getting getting COVID, it's like it takes two weeks, whatever, to, to, to be to to know whether or not you for sure had it, right? Mm -hmm. Or you might might have symptoms or whatever, right? If I, I think that kind of maps on a little bit to the conversation thing because if you have an idea and it sounds kind of quippy and funny when you first say it, but you spend two hours unpacking it, you figure out whether or not it w it's actually dangerous or not. Or, you, or, or you, sure. at least you're, you're, you're more likely to figure that out, right? If you take some more time before spreading it again and giving it another chance to sort of reproduce, then you can, you can slow down the spread. And you and you can only you you could be more likely to spread ideas that you know with with more of your being you're certain are good ideas. It's it's kind of like we are each other's ideological antibodies. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. But yeah. So well, I I I sent an email to you whatever a month ago or so. We, we, mm -hmm. It took a while to, to figure out a good day for to do oh, this. Geez. But you you said that you had a similar idea or like you were trying to you felt compelled to try to solve a similar problem. Yeah, no, well, it's interesting. Like, it's actually really, it was uncanny receiving the email from you. And I just, I was grinning ear to ear the whole time because I'm like, this this is just, while not by any means, I think the exact same, like, it's yeah. like wow, this really, this is resonating in, it's like adjacent. I don't know, that's a term sure. that people use these days. If something's <laughs> kind of like, oh, it's, it's, it's near it's it. It's in the right? vicinity. It's, it's kitty yeah, it's, corner. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's, that, no, don't you harp on the kitty corner. That is a beautiful piece of Canadian slang <laughs> that will forever. If something is right beside you, but diagonal, yes, we have a phrase. <laughs> See, okay. I, I've, I've actually taught so many young kids what the technical meaning of Fortnite is in the past year. 
<laughs> because all of them think it's a video game. Well, and to be fair, it is. And admittedly, it's probably more clever than I want to give it credit for because you're building <laughs> forts and maybe, it, I don't know, it's like night. Okay. Yep. Fine. There's a pun maybe that's happening there. But yeah, sometimes it's really nice to have a phrase for two weeks from exactly. now. Exactly. Especially because a lot of the kids that I'm teaching, we have lessons bi-weekly. So I love to say, I'll see you next fortnight. See, I, and, but even that bi-weekly, <laughs> isn't that technically incorrect? I think it is. And I, I forget, I remember exploring this one time. So I don't know, maybe somebody can't cancel culture. Somebody, you know, correct <laughs> me here. Uh, but no, the um, bi used to mean... Um, twice weekly, maybe, right? Twice, not half. Right. Right. And so bi-weekly, or sorry, bi-monthly is what I'm talking about. I think okay. bi-monthly should mean every two months, but now it's come to mean... Oh, wait, twice what? a month. Bi-monthly. People will say bi-monthly, and that will mean okay. twice a month. All right, that's very confusing, yeah, because bi-weekly, the way I use it anyways, and the way I understand it when people say it, is that it means every two weeks. Every two, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's bi- bi-monthly, and that means like cut in half as opposed to du- doubled. It, anyway, it's a weird, somewhere someone started doing that, and it's po- common enough. Anyway, some, somebody, <laughs> okay. you know, let's, send me an email let's, saying, let's excuse here. me, actually, it's not that. And oh, well, <laughs> Ford Warriors. But, anyway. What was it? Okay, it was your idea was adjacent to mine. It was Kitty Corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a, um, well, so really these two ideas that I've already sort of touched on that I feel are are pervasive issues. But um, largely, I would say that a lot of the, the disagreements that people have, or I would even say perceived disagreements, because it's not always actually substantial. It's it's more in language than it is in in like substance. Great. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that a lot of that goes back to well, probably a lot of what we've mentioned here, you know, well, fundamentally criti- critical thinking and charitability. And mm-hmm. I think that those two things tend not to, to ex- coexist oftentimes, particularly as it's expressed in the most, I think, important medium, which is conversation. Mm-hmm. But conversation skills are just not something that are taught the same way. And I, I would say because so much... Um, engagement or, or just social interaction continues to be happening in a primarily text-based format, right? I, I don't, I'm not sure that we fully appreciate this, the, the degree to which these skills have eroded, culturally speaking, right? It, it's a really interesting just sort of subdivision even as a very broadly here as a cross-section of society, the difference between urban communities and rural. There's a very big cultural divide there to this mm-hmm. day, right? But one of the very interesting, maybe more... Um, kind of pronounced differences is this conversationality, right? If you're in the city, if you try to strike up a passing conversation with someone, <laughs> that is creepy as that's, hell. That's how you could tell whether or not you're in a city or a village. If whether it, it, people it, it, wave it to you to when you walk down the street. But, and so there, there's sort of, um, there's a lot of reasons why that could be. And we, we could spend ages trying to parcel that out. But my point there is that there's sort of this relic almost of a, of a time gone by, it feels, right? Whether that's because it's rural or older people tend to live in rural communities, perhaps. And that's where that skill set tends to be. I, I don't know that I could isolate it, but nonetheless, there's something just so well, beautiful when you... Go ahead. No, so, I mean, I had the thought, like, it really seems to me that it's like, it's some sort of... Uh, overstimulation or inundation syndrome of like when you give like like I thought a lot about and, and I kind of frustrated by the problems of cities because there's obviously so much that becomes possible when you gather that many people in in one space and so much wealth that can be accumulated and so much so much industry that can happen but the downside is that you it's impossible to care about your whole city like there's too mm-hmm. many people because those are your city isn't just you know 
it isn't it isn't buildings it's people and you the, you can't care about that many people you, you you can care about you can think about a number and say i care about a thousand people but you can't actually care about that many people like individuals you can, you can care about them you can't care for them if we can make that distinction right like i can abstractly say i think human lives matter these are humans i care about them right, right? abstractly but i can't have this kind of intimate or even not even intimate but even just casual acquaintance well, to it's the like degree that compared i compared to the other relationship that is intimate right it's just even talking suppose, to somebody yeah. even looking them in the eye true. that's a that's a much deeper level of intimacy than than what's expected in a, in a city atmosphere no you're right well, no, it is a good point notwithstanding like the it's part of the reason why i increasingly i'm trying to think more like neighborhood by neighborhood like I, i've been Hmm. on kind of a bit of a crusade in my own way of thinking about oh gosh so many things but even take um patriotism right that, that's a very big fancy word that people might throw around positively or negatively depending on your view um i don't know i've always found it a little bit bizarre that i'm as a canadian right i have some weird sense of connectedness to british mm -hmm. columbia which is a continent away right yeah. it's very it's, it's very arbitrary right they've got their own sort of culture they, they, I mean, uh, culture i guess is really more my point right. here i i think that there's there's cultures and then there's subcultures and increasingly we've tried to um i think we compare ourselves to a shared cultural norm or a hypothetical cultural norm yeah. that is based on what we see and, and are exposed to uh, and we assume that most people are exposed to that it's just not the case. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the time, our engagement with culture is so individualized on our phones that we are very out of touch. So I've been trying to think more, what are the actual physical geographic things that unite a particular community, right? right. Um, so actually, I'll, I'll venture down this aside because I think that it connects to this idea about cities, though I don't know how long we're going to camp here. But uh, No, this this is exactly what I, I, I really need some help processing this idea right now. So any insight oh, you sweet. have, please share. Well, let me... Let me get ready here. Um, but no, so one of the things that um, that my church is actually in the process of doing is re, really rebuilding and reconceptualizing our entire premise of what it means to care about people that are connected with us. Right. So you're you're connected to new life. What does that mean? And what is care? Right? We're basically asking those questions and working backward from that to produce a what we're calling at the moment the working title is regional care model. It's really basically the parish church model, if you're at all familiar with that. But like, take okay. a Can plot of land, down, yeah. take a plot of land, divide that up by kind of boundaries that make some semblance of sense, and associate those groups together. So, um, way back in the day, that's basically how Europe got divided. Like the church basically said, uh, "This river, that river," and that you know created Germany and France as we understand them. That's way oversimplified, but you know chop up the land and pfft, there, now you're connected to each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're not trying to be quite that arbitrary, but the, the point is we're trying to firstly map all the different, different individuals that are connected to us. Like actually, where do you specifically live? Right. Mm -hmm. Which is not something I think most churches actually bother to like get an image in their minds of, right? mm -hmm. it's, but it's a cool thing to do. Anyway, we're then um, grouping those based on neighborhoods that are defined by, a, I mean, a slew of different criteria, but like, major intersections that might split particular areas geographic things become easy like rivers or whatever mm -hmm. so on one side of the river that side um but it gets a little bit more nebulous in these really densely populated areas where a lot of our people live um what are the cultural dividing marks in those communities and one of the things that took us maybe three or four days of me staring at this map to figure out was that there's actually a, an old train trail that runs um, in the middle of the town that i live in mm -hmm. and on the east side of that train trail, there's one sort of 
conception of what it means to live in Collingwood. On the west side, there's a slightly different one, hmm. right? I wouldn't say it's super pronounced, but it's a barrier that actually affects the way that people move and live in their community to the degree that if you were to cut the line arbitrarily across another street or intersection, right. you'd be cutting the community in half without thinking about it, right? So I was really grateful to see that, but it's just an example of how I've been trying to pay even more attention. And I, I mean, like, the town that I live in is like 20,000 people, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not here talking about even a very large city. It's yeah. quite small, but in a hyper-local way, what does it mean to be a part of a neighborhood, right? Not just generically, what does it mean to be a part of the region of the town that I live in? Or, or say it was, I don't know, I live yeah. in Toronto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it, it's not. I, I think that's the, maybe, it's not a bad question, but what does it mean to be somebody who lives at like, you know, Bayview and Steeles, right? Like not not just, oh, I live in North York, but like, this major intersection what are right. the major moving yeah. places or cultural centers of this sub-community right. of sub-communities right that's a conversation that i think is tremendously valuable that's really i wouldn't say that it isn't it's just not prominent it's there, there's no specific place that you can go to i yeah. think and, and the way you have to engage about, with right? that problem isn't through an established data metric it's through through like a really in intuition or, or creativity or, or it's like you have to go and like be there and, and figure it's like you have to be totally open to like what's what what is the sense i get of what's un uniting or, or unifying this area like what mm -hmm. well yeah so uh wisdom that i received from a, a very great friend and mentor of mine um her name is kathy mcintosh she's just she's a firecracker of a woman incredibly passionate and just dedicated to everybody she cares which is anyway wonderful wonderful woman um but she passed on this kernel of information she probably stole it from someone else, but it's a simple phrase, you know, bloom where you're planted, right? Mm -hmm. Simple enough, yeah. simple enough idea. You probably even maybe heard a variation of that before. Mm -hmm. I've of course distilled that to my own, um, my own way of communicating that truth, which is uh, live where you're at, right? Which I just, I prefer that somehow. There's a folksy yokelness to that that yeah. I, I love. Uh, but it's really the this, this idea that, yeah, okay, we have access to a hyper-digital, hyper-globalized world, and that's not going away, right? Smartphones, the, the internet and smartphones mm -hmm. in particular, it's an in, invention not unlike the automobile, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, it's changed it's society. Useful. Well, it, it's, it simply has changed society, and you can't do anything about it. You might prefer the horse and buggy. It might even be more environmentally friendly and have all kinds of advantages. It doesn't matter, right? It's not going away, so we have to learn how to live with it, right? Um at the same time, though, that doesn't mean our lives have to be defined by it, right? right? And I think that's that's the piece that I'm learning to rebel against a little bit in my own spirit. Like, yeah. I, I, I'm not interested in, in just going along with an, an arbitrary set of, um, I shouldn't say that. I think location is just as arbitrary as anything because anybody can just pack up mm -hmm. and leave at any point, generally right. speaking, right? If you have the means, you can do that. But accepting its arbitrariness you can't deny the fact that I live in the same area as these people, right? That's just a, a fact that everyone has to agree on or you're in an asylum, right? You can't dispute that, right? It's not a matter of opinion. And in its own awkward way, that almost creates the ideological basis for something kind of beautiful, right? Like this is my actual neighbor, right? right. It's not some random person yeah. on the internet, right? This person lives beside me. Whether I like that person or not, I don't get to just leave because I don't like my neighbor. I'm well, and there's practical implications to them being your neighbor. Oh, sure. But I, I mean, even just like, and um, if we want to call it a remedy for some of the things that we're talking about here, this lack of connectedness to people or the ability to hide behind certain masks, there's a, 
there's an almost um, uncanny vulnerability to acknowledging the people that live near you, right? Yeah. You can't get away from that. They know that, like, I mean, my wife right. and I, we live above a church, uh, which is bizarre. It's not the church I live at or work at, sorry. <laughs> so I, I, I rent an apartment that used to be the um, residence for the church pastor that, anyway, it's very awkward. Wow. So our whole lives are, are steeped in not-for-profit everything. So um, <laughs> anyway, but so we we have this terrible habit because of where our entrance is of driving past our waste bins um, after garbage day and forgetting about them because we don't look out our front windows very often and you drive past them, you've got a kid to get in the house and so on, right? So then suddenly it's Tuesday and you haven't, like it's lockdown, we don't walk outside very often or whatever, right? So finally we look and we're like, oh shit, we forgot our, our bins out again, right? Well, you know, the church that lives beneath us, like they know that that's our problem and they might have their own issue with that. And they're like, you know, get a text, hey, by the way, your bins are out on the front, take care of that. Right? There's an apartment <laughs> building beside us. They know that we're the people who live there. So there's all the, like there's, an, there's right, a, right, a, right. a rawness to that almost, yeah. right? So here's this weird, quirky, dumb thing that my wife and I have a habit of, you know, forgetting to do that, I don't know, people can notice, right? Right. But at the same time, there's a beautiful um, opportunity there too, where you can actually try at the very least and get to know the people that live nearby you. And you've got an in, oh, hey, I live in this house over here, right? Mm -hmm. they, what's to stop you? You know, like, mm -hmm. anyway, I understand that that in its own right feels very awkward and, and intimidating to some. But all I mean is that that's an opportunity for you to ha hold something in common with someone, which again, like I think common ground or lack of common ground is one of the larger problems with this charitability issue, right? We villainize anybody that is seen as being in the opposite camp or a different camp than the one we've chosen to be in, right? Well, how do you vilify a neighbor who lives beside you? You live in the same neighborhood, right? You chose the same plot of land. You're separated yeah. by 10 meters, right? Whatever, 15 yards, whatever it is, right? Like you're, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like there's such a tremendous amount of value or potential in that. It's kind of like this, mm -hmm. uh, this gem we've been sitting on all this time yeah. that we didn't notice, right? Well, it's that, that's that sort of like accountability that's, that's built into the structure where it's, it's not like, it's like, it's right there. It's very, you're not, you're not getting, I mean, you can sort of hide behind, like you're, you're not as able to, um, how would you say, uh, to curate the behavior that's available for those people to judge. That's right. They Apart they from see whatever is there, together, right? <laughs> like just block your windows, build a wall, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Which they're going to judge you for that too. So sure, there's no getting around it. Th these people are going to are going to judge you in a more intimate way, and we like there's two sides of it because you don't just want everybody having the most intimate access to your life that they can constantly be judging you. That's really sure. bad too. That's the other yes. side of the social media conversation where the first generation of people who, using Instagram and Facebook and uh, still some people who haven't quite figured out the trend uh, used it to like post and talk about every single piece of the most intimate, intimate bits of their life. Pictures, video, text about what they had for lunch. Who cares? I, I, I don't care about you enough to, to have a positive judgment or to have a meaningful judgment of that behavior. This is way mm -hmm. too much content for me, but it's just like, you, you don't want to have people who, who, I mean, for one thing, it's just like, if your friends on Facebook, that's a pretty like general kind of acquaintance level friendship, but you, it's just like learning the boundaries of what information do you share with your acquaintances versus people you care about? Well, you, you, you filter that based on how much they care about you because mm -hmm. the, the sort of the worse or, or the more difficult problem or the more taboo problem you want to deal with and, and you need somebody's 
else's perspective to have on it. You need to have a sort of insurance that, that they actually care about you, you in solving this problem. And they're not just in it for some juicy gossip or in it for right. whatever. Like s- sensitive information needs to be shared, but it needs to be shared with sensitive people. Yeah, that's a good, it's well, well put for sure. And so it's like, but we've, we've lost or we've just kind of forgot that that's important. And we have, you know, I, I, maybe I'm t- again, maybe just talking from my perspective again, it's like, I, I, I didn't, wasn't connected that deeply to any community. And this is the church thing is like, I, I, I really think church is important. Like the community aspect of church, even like being personally connected to the person who's teaching me and giving me spiritual insight. That's, that's obviously important. I, I'm still struggling with, with, with the dynamic between that and just being able to find better public speakers and, and deeper thinkers on the internet. But yeah. like, I, I don't exactly know how to solve that problem. It's probably just a discipline thing too. Actually, I, I don't really care for some of the things that, um, that Bruxy Cavey is, is all about, but he said, he said a couple of, of nuggets of, of wisdom that have, that have stuck with me. And Uh, I just blanked my mind because I was thinking about how much I don't like Brooksy Cavey. He's a great guy, by the way. <laughs> incredibly, incredibly humble considering his stature. Yeah. yeah. No, he's honestly, I, I think he's a really, really, like as far as personal he's character a very wise. teacher. Yeah. And a very gifted teacher. Sure. Uh, what was I just saying though, before I, I, I got sidetracked? You had a couple nuggets of wisdom that really stuck with you. Before that, that though, what, what were the nuggets of wisdom relating to? This is, this is my problem here. <laughs> uh, relating to accountability and being able to find uh, just a better teacher online, for example, and how do you stay connected to a community? Um, you know, the importance of that and, it, you know, the need for it when you can actually just reach any old place. Well, I forgot the nugget. <sighs> Well, it didn't Crap. stick that well then, did it? I guess, I guess not. It was, It'll I come was, back to you, I'm sure. Maybe. But br- bring us back on track now because my, my, my brain's blanked. Oh, well, I mean. <laughs> I'm I, sorry I, to I, throw I that know. on you, but. No, that's okay. Well, we were, we were just chatting about, well, the idea of, of locality, the importance of community, uh, privacy was a, a big point there. Um, so sensitivity of information and how you actually share that versus when you shouldn't, right? Um, is that none of that's helping at all? No, I'm, I'm saying just start unpacking some of your own oh, thoughts if you have some because I, I, I might need a while thoughts. to get back where I where I was. Okay, fair enough. Um, well, I mean, I guess on the subject of locality, one of the thoughts that was sort of sitting on my mind on the back burner was that. Um, the thing that we're describing here, we're like, oh, hey, uh, you know, you're my neighbor, I'm your neighbor. We have a vested interest in in pro- one another prospering or sh- in the community that's shared or whatever. Um, one of the things that's a flaw in in this is that people, in general, big big brush here, people in general struggle to make conversation, right? <laughs> so we're we're fine with trivial things like the weather and whatever, but the moment it becomes a little bit more real, that intimacy piece, perhaps, when it affects us personally. That's when our guards get up and we, we become very distrusting, I think, of, of one another, such that we don't know always how to have a very charitable conversation, certainly not if it's a difficult subject matter, right? So that's one of the things that actually ties back to this podcast thing that I had in my brain, right? Which is that how cool would it be to have, it, I don't know if I had thought of it as a podcast or like a sequence of YouTube videos that was effectively just a video podcast or whatever, but how cool would it be to model, right, to very deliberately model conversation skills mm-hmm. in a way that can be studied by people? So you're mm-hmm. not just like you're you're not just having the conversation, but you're educating viewership or or your audience base 
as they participate in it right. with the skills that you're yeah. employing, right? Like whether that's like, I, I don't know if you ever right. watched The Emperor's New Groove, right? Did you ever see that movie? Yeah, oh, I love that okay. movie. Dude, that, that movie is probably responsible for my personality, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I'm, I, I saw that as an impressionable young like preteen, and I was like, I want to be as funny as David Spade. Not that I knew it was David Spade, but <laughs> anyway, I'm like, I want to do that. Um, but that moment where he interrupts himself to like narrate on his own situation, yeah. right? I just, I don't know why that gag yeah. I was just so <laughs> funny as a kid. Um, it's like, oh, he's going out interrupting. It was just meta, and he's like drawing on people's faces. And just anyway. But I, mean, I don't know, maybe it's something like that. Like you you have this chance where you're right. having a talk and then you pause and be like, okay, now pay attention to what this person's going to do. Yeah. Or maybe you even just like break the fourth wall altogether and we're having this conversation. Yeah. We say, oh, okay, hold on. I don't know. I, I thought that something yeah. like that would be an interesting tool to help. Definitely. Well, just to encourage people that conversation doesn't have to be tricky. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, you can get into sticky situations, but gosh, worst thing that happens is you end up disagreeing. Right. And you... Un at worst case scenario, you would disagree and you understand that person a little bit better. Right. That, what? That's, like, that's not even that. the worst case scenario. That's that's probably the best case scenario. You, you go oh, and no, actually no, no. dig deep enough to find where you disagree. Maybe. I, all, all I mean to say is that like, if, if somebody really, like if you can't come to any kind of an agreement right. on a difficult sure, sure, subject, sure. right? If you can't reach that point where, oh yeah, here's the truth and we agree. Um, excuse me. If you can't do that, like the worst that happens is you voice an opinion, they voice an opinion. As long as you're charitable right. and, and a little bit critical with one another, like you can measure or weigh that opinion and you walk away with something else to think about, right? And hopefully you understand the other person. If you've done your job, right, right the part you can control, you know that person better than you did when you started chatting, right? right. How's that bad? Yeah. Right? How's that bad? Yeah. Anyway, I mean, I understand that maybe that person goes living in a taxi, but like, let's, <laughs> let's not well, worry if you, about if, what... if you learn to do that job, like part of it's just like exposure therapy, because if you just have have gotten totally out of the habit of talking to anybody who disagrees with you about something, you you forget the, the like, there should be kind of degrees of defense that you kind of feel out as you figure out how deep the disagreement has gone. And if mm -hmm. you only have a really simplistic... Uh, version of the situation in your head of like, well, I mean, maybe talking about a political issue. If if you have a, a very simplistic idea of okay, uh, people who like Trump are Nazis, or if you're on the other side, think people who like Biden are uh, want to be devil worshippers or de whatever. Yeah, it is. devil worshippers, or or, or yeah. are ultimately going to bring about some some gulag camps or something like that. Like, if if that's your only version of the story it's because you haven't bothered to have a real conversation with a real person. You're, you're having a conversation with an idea and, and a straw man idea at that. Yeah. Well, and again, I, I would say that the, the only two tools, and maybe that's a bold claim, but I, I, perhaps this is true. Like the, the, the main two tools that I think are required for that activity to take place are critical thinking and charitability. If, if you can approach yeah, can you, can the other can person. You break down a little bit. Yeah. More specifically, what do you mean by so what, what is, why is critical thinking versus, and what is charitability in that context? Sure. I mean, I, I mean, I don't have like a Webster's definition of these, these traits. Well, I, myself, I want Christopher's definition of those. Yeah, like you're you're yeah, using these in a very cuff. practical way. They mean something to you. They do. They do. So we'll see if I can satisfy my own standard for what I mean <laughs> by these words. Okay. Uh, you put me on the spot, but I love it. So when, when I say critical thinking, what I hear mean probably eclipses things like, or includes things like logic um, and, and, and reasoning, argumentation, that, that's probably part of it, right? Being able to say, okay, here's an idea, right? Is this idea true as far as I can understand it, 
right? Right. And if you can break, like if you can work your way down kind of through the the sequence of, of you know, if this, then this, if this, then this, yeah, that's that's definitely logic and perhaps difficult. But mm-hmm. but even there, like, you know, questioning something, not just taking it for granted that what they said was the case, right? So what I mean here is y- you can't just be indoctrinated, right? Doctrine is is far more common than we think. It's not purely a religious thing. Um, sound bites of politicians and so on, all of that by by its nature is doctrinal. You're, you're trying to sell a specific idea such that people don't challenge it, right? So here's a given. Um, so doctrinal thinking, I'm, I'm very, yeah, I'm very wary of, which is maybe a weird thing to hear from somebody who works in a church, but um, what I, it's why the critical piece is so important to me. Right. Uh, I think that you need to be able to be confronted with an idea and to be suspicious, to be skeptical, to even right. even maybe venture into cynical, depending on the nature of mm-hmm. it. Like if somebody says Nazis are good, I'm like, pardon, right? Yeah. I, I, I'll, okay, what do you mean by that? Right. Right. But I'm going to, like, I'm cynical. I am right. not in, expecting to be persuaded, right? Right. Um, and also in in critical thinking, I would, I would probably add a caveat there that there are there are degrees of of persuasiveness or persuasivity. That's not a word, but hey, we'll go with it. <laughs> uh, but the like for me, I make a very distinct and intentional difference between if I'm persuaded or if I'm convinced, right? So if I'm convinced, I mean that is a high standard to beat, right? If I'm persuaded, it means you know the needle's leaning in that direction, but you know, give me more kind of thing, right? I'm convinced, there's very few things in life I'd say I am convinced of. Right, right. yeah. Um, now, whether or not I actually live out that standard I've just described in my own life and how right. many Those, those are the ideals anyways. Precisely, so that's what I'm yeah. aiming for, at least as pertains to critical thought. So can I take an idea that's foreign to me, that's different from me, and be suspicious of it, right? In a, in a way yeah. that can is you, Can you break it down in a meaningful way? Yeah. And then yeah. the charitability piece is the necessary companion to that concept because I've yeah. met a lot of people. University is filled with critical thinkers. Well, that's not always true, but yeah. the school I went to was filled with a lot of critical thinkers. Um, Which, it was a hum- primarily humanities school. Yeah. So, well, um, I, and one thing I, I you actually, you're very good at this. Like, I, I, within this conversation, I've noticed you building a branching outline of the conversation and following the connection of the thoughts to each other. Mm hmm. Like that, that's to me, that's sort of what like it's, it's building not just a bottom line of, of an idea. It's exploring the idea and, and figuring out how all of the pieces of it actually fit together in, in this branching structure of whatever the idea is. It's an essay. Yeah, it's an essay. It what, has what an you outline. So yeah. I, I, I remember so to, to deviate back into the English conversation, but I hated essays so yeah. badly. Like, like holy hell, I could not get over how much <laughs> essays suck. Well, because here's what it breaks down to. This is every, like, it would seem to me at least, every children's experience ever. They they start writing essays probably around sixth, seventh grade, okay? Mm-hmm. And what are, like, you, you raise your hand and the keener in the class, which is probably me, let's be honest, mm-hmm. raise your hand, why do I need to do this, right? Okay. And the teacher just sighs and says, you need to know how to do this for high school. Everyone goes, oh, that makes sense. (laughs) Okay. Then you shut up for two and a half years. You finally get into high school, right? You're in like grade 10 English and trying to teach you how to Why do I need to do this? Why do I need that? And the teacher sighs, oh, you need to know how to do this for university, right? And then you get into university and you're like, okay, well, if somebody's bold enough at that point to raise and talk to the professor in front of 500 other people, they're just like, what do we need to do this? Like, we want to pass the class, don't you? And everyone laughs at their expense, right? And, And so on. Well, no, it... That's such a deficient, stupid way. Finally, in <laughs> in in one of my my more senior classes in university, a, a teacher just off the cuff made a statement about like 
essays. And they're just like, yeah, well, essays are exercises in communication, right? And I went, oh, oh of course <laughs> they are, right? Nobody said it that way. And then right. suddenly the light bulb goes off and I go, right, what I'm doing is I'm saying, here's what I need to tell you, right? And what's coming. So I'm priming people for what information they're about to receive. Hey, turns out that's like a fundamental bit when it comes to communicating messaging on any product, right? Mm -hmm. Or or any idea or or any, even, even if I just, hey, I have something I need to tell you. Right. I have three things I want to say. Yeah. Thing one, thing two, thing three. So this is the point that I've made, right? right? Oh my goodness, trying to overcome marital disputes when you finally understand how to communicate a thought. Right in a clear manner. Right. Right? Well, and there's the total inversion of those principles too, that you need to learn how to build a good structure and you need to analyze literature or analyze, analyze communication in a, in a well-structured way. So that way you actually understand mm -hmm. the person or the thing that you're interacting with. Right. Well, and, and yeah, so, I mean, there's definitely something to be said for just, you know, learning in general subject matter and being educated on a opinion you're choosing to have. Um, so all of those are great skills, but just f for me, like when, when somebody like, okay, so I'm, I'm deviating fairly far here into this idea of, I guess, critical thinking and communication, but, but it's an important point. I think that um, like words matter. That's something I'll constantly come back to words matter. And there's a lot of ways I can unpack that, but the reason words matter is because people matter, right? Mm -hmm. Now, in an ideal in an ideal world, okay, I would be able to take my brain and the thoughts that I'm having in it, and I'd be able to just beam them into your brain, right? And I don't yeah. know if Musk has his way, maybe I that'll be possible. <laughs> Who knows, okay? But I want to be able to just take my idea and shove it into your head, and you understand my intent right. with a one-to-one -one equivalence. Except that can't happen. It's not possible. Well, you don't we even know use... what you mean yet. Well, sh sure, but like, let's say that you can just get that. Let's imagine magically telepathy is possible right. when that happens, right? Okay. That would be ideal. There's zero error between our communicative process, okay? Yeah. Instead, okay. what we have to often do is use this vehicle, or numerous vehicles, but one of the main vehicles we use is called a word, right? right. So what I'm doing is I'm taking my understanding of a concept, I'm finding language to support that concept, communicating that to you through this thing we call a word, which is a sequence of sounds culturally determined and anyway, yeah. beautiful and fascinating in their own right. Sending that into your brain, which is then being interpreted into concepts and ideas that you're yeah. then, between your understanding of me and the place we're in, contextually, in we in somehow, well, we, we, we average out something that approximates understanding, yeah. right? Yeah. There is an enormous degree of variance in that possibility, right? But Ultimately, if you're trying to express yourself to me and I to you, right, words are one of the main ways that we have the opportunity to share in each other's existence, right? right. Which that's a very idyllic and, and beautiful way to describe it. But I, I genuinely believe that about language, right? Mm -hmm. So language is so much more than just this kind of medial task that we do on a daily basis out of necessity. It is that, mm -hmm. but it's also this beautiful act of self-expression and exchange yeah. of ideas and information in a truly great way, right? And, and not only that, but I, I even tie it to sort of a, an incarnation narrative. Because <laughs> it could be. Words are not even, I mean, ideas are not as specific a thing as words are or as sentences are or as essays are. Like, That's true. You, you'll you'll come to many situations. Obviously, we both have in our lives where, like, you th you think you have an idea and then you try to say it and you realize how dumb it is, or you realize, wow, that was a really incredible. I, I didn't even know that was coming. I didn't know I was going to say that, and it like sure. pans out in a really meaningful and really specific. And it's like when you start saying an idea, it becomes something 
totally, I mean, maybe not to- maybe totally is the wrong word, but it becomes something very different and becomes sure. like it's 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 of a different substance, right? It's it's taking a a concept which which is a very it's like a very generalized bot or it's like it's yeah it's so generalized almost ethereal right it's this thing that almost doesn't exist in its own right well and, and like this is why I measured. think about the incarnation it's like it's like God this incredible massive abstract thing coming down and compressing into something I can actually see and I can mm-hmm. I can experience in a in a in a way that I can process. And it's yeah. it's like a it's it's a it's almost a I mean we can get into some theology stuff there if I start if I go too far down that path because you're gonna I'm gonna say it's like it's reducing the infiniteness of God's character to something finite, right? Mm. Or at the very least, giving you a, a touchstone on which to grasp those concepts or to grasp that right. well, infinity. And, and the other right. side of what I like, what I really like about even the Christmas story is that it's it's about you know it's about coming down from from the abstract or, or the massiveness of an idea and entering into somebody else's value structures. It's like God becoming man isn't God, isn't just like spiritual thing becoming physical. That's like, that's, that's what it is. But like the other side of it is that like humanity's current, you know, or or at the time that, that, you know, of, of the, of Christ coming down and being with man, right? All those social structures, all of the cultural mores, all of the, tastes mm-hmm. of everybody who you're interacting with as, as Christ all, like, like those don't necessarily it's like they, they could be dumb they could be foolish they could be wrong they could be evil they could be it's like he entered into all of those communities and basically paid attention to things that might be totally from, from, from like a larger perspective boring or meaningless or just dumb but it's like when I don't know if I'm totally communicating this idea, but it's just like it's entering into somebody's value structures, entering into their language, entering into like the way they experience the world, despite whether like whether or not it's the best vehicle for interacting with reality. It's like you enter into that system and become something that's that's processable by that community. Mm-hmm. It's intelligible. It's something that can be understood in a way that you can't otherwise understand. Right, but and and it's but it's it's like like what I learned from that story, at least what I've been ruminating on for the past several Christmases is that like the way, or what I learned from that story, what I'm supposed to act out based on hearing that story is that I need to step down from the things that are important to me and be part of somebody else's life. Manifest mm-hmm. love and compassion and generosity and personness and Christ-likeness to them in their language, in their value system. Mm-hmm. In it's like it's 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 not just a matter of like becoming a different type of matter. It's like entering into something that's foreign to you. Yeah, well, and which is I think it, itself one of the beauties of of language and words, even sort of more more specifically. Like there's this opportunity to take something that somebody doesn't know at all; they've never experienced, and you can actually give them a taste of that experience just by communicating with them, right? Like, oh, you've never been to Everest. Well, this is what it's like. Suddenly there's, anyway, there's something so beautiful, I think, about the communicative power of, you know, storytelling and the way that words form that. It's it's an art form that I find honestly endlessly beautiful. I I really do. Um, And in in its own way, I mean, you're you're talking about the incarnation, but one of the interesting points that scripture makes is that uh, the word became flesh. That's that's this act of incarnation. And the, so the the spoken act of of God or the, the spoken expression of God right. sort of took that's, this bodily form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I just I've always thought it was interesting how um, 
well, the Holy Spirit is often referred to as breath. And so there's this image, probably heretical, right. that I, oh, I have wow. in my head. That's okay. That, I see where you're going. Yeah, yeah. But where like, you know, this God is speaking and the the force of the words is the spirit, but the actual words themselves is the, the, shaping. Is the son and, and yet the, they're expressions of the father. It, anyway, there's something it's the really definition cool. of them. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like building borders or like, like the, 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 it's like words are literally spirit. They are wind, they are breath that's mm-hmm. been shaped and that's been, yep. it's been constricted into something more specific. And yet they have a tremendous amount of flexibility and versatility, but not an infinite amount of flexibility right. and versatility in the sense that a word can only mean so many things. Right. And yet it means many things. And anyway, it's, yeah. it's just, it's beautiful. And I think that there's something truly great about okay. that. But. So, yeah, sorry to sidetrack that so much. You were ta- not at originally. All. I, I was talking to you. Uh, you were trying to answer the question of like, what are what's what? What are these two principles you see for for well, right? So I'll, I'll I'll trace my way back there. So the um, we're here talking about the the importance. I was saying how words matter because people matter, and language is this beautiful expression of of kind of one to one opportunity to you know to share of yourself through this medium. And unfortunately, that medium is deficient. Words aren't, they are not sufficient to do the thing we're asking them to do, right? So mm-hmm. because I, I use the wrong word or I use the wrong tone, if I, the medium can produce any number of flaws, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in how, in, in my intent or, or what have you, right? Um, which is why discipline is so important and learning how to do that well, how to, how to carefully curate the words that you choose, the order you choose to use them in, your intent, even possible misinterpretations or counter arguments that somebody might have based on something you said or didn't say, like all of that nuance of, of conversational skill and and so on is something that's present in the form of something like an essay where you learn how to structure an idea. You exclude a large number of ideas. It's a very, mm-hmm. very limited thing you're doing, yeah. but you're focusing on, on the best or most persuasive bits of a point you're trying to raise. And as you learn or practice, I should say even more than learn, because I think Mm -hmm. most people know how to do this to a degree on the road anyway. But as you train that kind of muscle in your mind, uh, you can become better at at sort of tracing a thought, tracing an idea, spelling out an argument and so on. And and those aren't, when I'm saying argument to you, I mean it in a really like simple kind of benign way. I don't mean like feuding and and conflict and fighting. I just mean like, here's a point, counterpoint, argument, that's all. So it's really innocuous in in the way that I'm using it. but just so this this point about being able to kind of critically think, logically trace an idea to to challenge something, to follow it through, um, that skill that you highlighted that you said that I have is something I've I've really learned from essay writing. I right. I actually in a conversation like yeah. I just did, I think I modeled it, where I actually worked in reverse of the the tangents back to the original right. thought, yeah, more or less. So what what I actually have in my mind, and maybe this is a quirk to me, but I it's it's almost like a line that's running across. And then when it deviates, I, I have a little flag post in my brain yep. that yeah. keeps a track of that. And it's it, I and guess that's, a mind that's map. such a useful skill. Like I I I I notice the difference between like a good public speaker and a bad public speaker is just like whether or not they're able to find their way back. And like watching some people do that is like whoa, that's amazing. And it's amazing how much better I'm able to follow and and remember what the lecture mm-hmm. is about. And like I've really like. Even hear you model and break it down was really good. And also, I mean, you, you suggested me to read that book, uh, How to Read a did, Book. Oh, did you? Did you? It incredible. Like, I mean, that, that it breaks was your the brain biggest a insight. Bit. That that really it was just like, oh yeah, this is how I need to interact with books. This is how I interact with life. Yes. Right. Well, so really, like, really, that text. So, how to read a book? Um, 
I, I forget the actual authors because my I've loaned my copy out so many yeah. times I don't okay. even know who has it right now. Uh, but it, it it was a game changer for me. And really, all that that was is, is a, a tome from two very accomplished professors mm-hmm. who basically took their crash course in like logic mm-hmm. and just condensed that into a text. Mm-hmm. Right. It's ba- it's basically just logic 101. I just I had never been exposed to actual logic as a subject before. Right. Mm-hmm. It's always implicit in the education system. So yeah. kind of goes back to that point I was making about, you know, it's sometimes better to, to right. split up these subjects and see them as different things yeah. so that you can understand them better. But so all that to say, critical thinking is really important. And I think we've just modeled how useful it can be in a potentially deep and, and diverging conversation. If you can't yeah. track it, right. But then the other bit's charitability. Like if you you can dissect an idea as much as you want, right? But if you can't empathize with the holder of that idea, right? I think that there like that that sucks, man. Like I've I've been at the receiving end of someone who doesn't want to listen charitably, right? right? So they like one of the better bits of wisdom I picked up somewhere from somebody famous is that we judge ourselves by our intentions. Right, but other people by their actions, mm. right? So we, we very rarely will extend. I don't think the we same. even think we bother to to figure out what people's actions are. I think we judge them based on their affiliations or their or their labels. And that may be true these days, but but notwithstanding, if somebody cuts you off right, in sure. in the road, right, you're gonna be bad at them for having done the thing. Exactly. But if you cut somebody off, you don't feel necessarily bad about it. You might, but like, oh no, I really needed to get this eggs anyway. My notwithstanding, the point there is that. We have, I think, often a double standard for what we hold ourselves to versus what we hold other people to. Um, And if you're not conscientious of that, like things like your own bias, right? Um, Well, so not to get into the specific issue, but perhaps a good example of of this that's very, it's a very contentious issue, uh, but an example of where I had to suspend my own bias and be charitable to a, a different argument actually was around the issue of abortion. So big political subject or tends to be, can be, and, um, you know, loosely put one, one camp believes that you're, you know, destroying human life in another camp. They, they believe that that that's either an oversimplification or just not, not the case at all. Um, very competing ideas, arguably probably an irreconcilable difference, right? It's, it's an issue of fundamental Mm -hmm. philosophical difference that that affects that. Right. And, it occurred to me after reading a, a position that um, I, I don't want to belabor this too much, but essentially um, it was Pete Buttigieg. Actually, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. So forgive me if that pronunciation is <laughs> really wrong. Uh, but the the um, political uh, gentleman from from the south, uh, from the south, the United States. <laughs> I, I, I think I think he's from Chicago, if I'm not mistaken, mayor of Chicago or, or okay. something to that effect. Anyway, anyway, um, currently minister of transportation, I think, in the Biden cabinet. Doesn't matter. I read a post that he had made, or it was a summary of a response that he gave at a presidential debate. Somebody tried to ask, you know, what about late-term abortion? What about late-term abortion? And he he tried to resist the question by saying, I feel like this is being asked just for soundbite issues. You know, the the anger or whatever it was persisted. And he, I'm summarizing here, but he has effectively said that, you know, yeah, if there's, you know, late-term abortions are whatever number, maybe it's, say, say it was 6,000, I don't think it was that high, but it was 6,000 in whatever year he cited, which represented less than like 0.2% of actual cases or something to that to that degree. And he pointed out that most of the people making that choice have probably painted the nursery, bought a crib, and they've been given some kind of terrible news where they had to make a decision, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that's the health of the parent or whatever, right? 
Anyway, in the moment realizing this, I'm like, that response was filled with compassion for people right. in a situation that is, I think, objectively awful, right? If yeah. you're in that specific, so ignore all the other bits, but that one, which is such an extreme, I think, of it's an extreme representation of these different camps, yeah. right? The man is showing compassion. And I stopped and realized that, wait, I agree with that, yeah. right? I don't think that it's the job of a government to uh, impose a situation, like they're, they're, ethical standard on what ought to be a private medical decision as pertains to woman's health. Now I, I could separate that own statement I just made yeah, yeah, all yeah. other kinds of nuances and, and boil it down for ages. But my point here is that I had to take my own very deeply felt religious views. And in this case, fairly conservative leaning, as far as our political spectrum goes, I had to set those aside and suspend them to listen charitably to an opinion yeah. that I moments before would have considered reprehensible. Yeah. Right. And in that instance, I realized, wait a second, that gentleman just just adequately expressed an idea that I agree with. Mm -hmm. That changes the way that I have to think about this other position I've taken. Yeah. Right. And that begins the process then of critical thought, because now I've listened charitably mm -hmm. and critically. I'm able to pair that back to this other thing that I hold. And suddenly I realize, okay, maybe this is an issue that matters a lot less than people make it out to be. Maybe we should focus on some other things that are, are affecting things in a much bigger way, you, right? You were talking earlier about the idea that some people, many disagreements are, are more a disagreement with um, maybe, maybe the mask or, or the, or the title of the conversation or the title of the, the opinion more than the substance of the, the person's actual position. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's part of the key problem that I'm trying to figure out how to get better at solving. I think it's, it's almost just a patience issue. Like, most of the content and because I'm, I'm I'm used to having there's so much content in my life so, and content is such a big part of my life being a sure. 21st century person uh, <laughs> like I, I, I think about things in those terms but it, it's just like the, the the more content there is the, the more it, I have to kind of distill it down to okay well what am I actually going to spend my time w watching w what gives me the most bang for my buck as far as you know time invested versus like you know, probably versus dopamine rush. <laughs> sure. Right. And, and so most of the content is like, I get used to kind of just taking in junk food, the junk food of, of, of the brain anyways. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I get used to just like watching short videos and like, I'm only, I, I, I realized maybe last year that I, I, I f didn't want to watch movies. And I was like, why on earth commitment yeah it's that's exactly it it's <laughs> yeah. I, I had gotten so sucked into this pattern of short form content and just being extreme very very judgmental of like because again when you have so much content your your mechanism for sorting it out has to become that much more judgmental or else you're just going to get sucked into things arbitrarily and they might be there's, there's so much so much garbage and so much noise so much data you have access to that's totally useless you have to become really good at sorting it out quickly and finding something that you know that might interest you mm -hmm. and so investing time into a into a longer form piece of content became like uh I, what if the movie sucks i've just lost the potential to interact with 20 pieces of content where 15 of them could have been really i, I could have at least really liked them maybe they wouldn't even mm -hmm. have been useful to me but i would have at least liked them they would have hit that mental trigger that says hmm, this is good and 
I, it's like, how do, how do you work on that? You just, just watch more. You, you have to just practice being patient, practice watching more crappy movies and being okay with it. Like tr- try to find better movies. But like, I, 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 okay, this is actually, I think maybe I've actually got back to the, that Bruxy Cavey nugget of wisdom. He was talking oh, about nice. exercise. I, was, I really didn't think I was ever going to get, to get back here. I thought that this, this nugget was gone for would. good. I but, had faith in you. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for having faith in, in grace. Um, but he talked about how exercise is a pretty modern invention. Like people hmm, didn't yeah, use that, that, that's like a, a pretty recent word exercise because previously that's just, just existing. Yeah. Like just go out and live your life and your body will be as strong as it needs to be to do the things that you're going to need to do physically because you're doing them. That's, mm-hmm. that's how you live your life. You're a farmer, you're a whatever, a work, even if your life was working in any sort of other physical labor, it's just like almost all of our labor has migrated to sitting down at least sitting down, maybe sitting down in front of a computer, maybe sitting down and talking to people, or maybe just standing at, at a cashier and, and talking to people. Like, there's very, very little physical labor that's that's involved with most most people's jobs in the West, in the developed world, mm-hmm. right? And so we've had to figure out, oh, well, that causes our bodies to degrade really quickly and to not be able to walk when we need to walk if we don't practice walking. We and, and we get like our our cardiovascular health goes, you know, like. Yeah. Just we get winded standing up, like <laughs> that's no good. Obesity is is an increasing. Like, I'm I don't know the statistics on it, but people who do, when I hear them talk about it, I'm confounded. It's it's insane how much of how much of a problem. It's just like, well, how do we deal with that? We we had to figure out some ways of just deciding to be physical, and and this is yeah. what he he made the point that yeah, like you, people started exercising. People started like taking time of their day, scheduling time to practice putting Moving. physical force yes. on their body so that way their body could withstand it when they needed to do it, right? Yep. And then he, he compared that to praying or to meditating. Mm-hmm. He said like... That's a good comparison. And, and that's almost, maybe that's even exactly the comparison I was about to go with. It's just like meditation is almost indistinguishable from patient's practice. Hmm. It's, it's just getting better at sitting down and being okay with things being a little bit slow to get to something a little bit more deep a little bit more meaningful mm-hmm. because there, there's so much bang you can get for your buck. If, if you, if you are really judgmental with content and just, you know, look for, look for the best video all the time. But when you do that, you miss out. Uh, I mean, usually our, our metrics for figuring out what the best thing is, is, I mean, it comes back to the food thing. It's like, it's the same. There's ways of hacking those systems where like previously in other points in time, something being really sweet would have been a good indicator that there was a lot of what I needed in it. Mm. And that's not really the case at this point. That's not a reliable, not a reliable faculty for interacting with food anymore, right? Uh, and when it comes to content, it's like there, there's 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 hyper palatable content. There's lots of great porn out there. Okay, <laughs> not where I thought you were heading. But do there's carry lots, on, I suppose. There's lots of really really funny, quippy, offensive uh, comedies that are really you know ideologically cancerous sure there's 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 a ton of content that abuses our our faculties for for just for finding something that would be valuable to us mm-hmm. right we, we have these things built into our brains that that like would tell us that would be worth investing in first worth investing time in and those have been totally hacked so we have to kind of push back and say i'm gonna exercise being patient with an idea exercise being patient with interacting with somebody exercise having a long form conversation 
rather than just having short form, short content, 30 second, uh, like memes. Mm-hmm. Well, and one of the beauty, beautiful things about that, if, if one can take the, um, the time, right, exercise the patience to learn how to really uh, to do something like what we're doing, where you just sit and have a longer chat about nothing in particular. And yet the beautiful thing that happens is you begin to notice themes. And mm-hmm. that's one of the, the bits that, that I love. So it, it's interesting that you're, you're likening this to movies versus sort of consuming things on um, social media. It's, it's an apt, I think, uh, analogy for really just the deficiencies that I see in our ability to appreciate story, right? So a lot of what I what I think about and talk about actually comes back to this this kind of central idea. It's it's perhaps one of the nuggets of of my um, my own psyche, maybe uh, whatever, but that that a lot of other things are built on. But it's it's just the importance of narrative, the importance of storytelling, mm-hmm. right? Um, identity formation. We don't often associate that with storytelling, but that is your identity is just the sum of the stories you tell about mm-hmm. yourself, right? Right. Yeah. So if you're a better storyteller, you might be actually just a better person. Oh, uh, that's not what I, that's not what I mean to say. But, uh, well, but you you might be able to like that. That's that's the resource you need in order to learn how to become a more self like actualized person, a, a fuller person. I, I suppose the it's more about awareness in that regard. If you are aware of the stories that you tell about yourself, if you know those threads, it's easier to orient what your identity even is and perhaps make adjustments should there be a need for that. But what I mean to say is take take um, well. I don't want to be uncharitable to to Americans. The the one of the big hallmarks of Canadian identity, I believe, is feeling arbitrarily superior to the United States for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> right? Like it doesn't matter how good we actually are as long as we're better than them. Right? Like that's the that's the attitude. Yeah. Right? Uh, I mean that, that's a hallmark of any like. It, maybe there's even a, potentially a healthy level of that. You you want to at least identify more with your group than somebody else's group because you need to care more about your group because they're your problems. Right, but I mean, well, I, yeah, I, I suppose. But the uh, let's let's say Canadian identity. So if, if we're talking about Canadian identity, what does it mean to be Canadian? That that's a very odd question, perhaps, because the simple, I think, answer is, oh, well, you have a passport that belongs to this governing body that exists in this border, right? Mm-hmm. So by fluke of circumstance, you are Canadian. There you go, right? Um, but I think that that question can go deeper, and I, I think it should go deeper. And so the take, dismissing the easy answer, you begin to realize that it's actually questions about, well, what is this land and what makes up this land and who are the people that are in this land and what are the families associated with those people and what are the ideas associated with those families? And the, the matrix begins to expand pretty, pretty large, I, I would say. Um, so you're suddenly capturing a very wide net of people from a very vast geographic area, but that nonetheless have some common thread of a story that that unites them, right? Whether that's the story of confederation and how the different provinces came to be, or whether that's these myths about Amer- or Canadian politeness, right? Or um, whatever thread you sort of isolate as being the main variable there. The point is you're sharing a story of a kind, right? Mm-hmm. And I think it goes to show the, the power of, of story and, and shaping mm-hmm. ideas. Depending on the story you tell about your nation, your family, yourself, yeah, yeah. You change your own sense of self-perception. You change how other people perceive you, right? So um, increasingly, I think that our stories are isolated and individualized, right? So the story that I tell about myself is going to be maybe even more particular than my family or town or or a country, right? Um, 
and that has all kinds of interesting changes, but um, challenges and, and opportunities that come with it. Like it's it's interesting, for example, that I could be part of a, an online community in Reddit that shares a similar idea or right. uh, passion or interest or something. And there's a, a a layer of identity formation that can happen there, depending. Oh, I'm I'm part of um, what's the thing that just happened in the news? The Wall Street bets kind of became oh, world yeah, famous yeah, yeah. overnight, right? Well, suddenly this subgroup of ret urchins, right, self-professed <laughs> tards or whatever it is that they say. Uh, and the subreddit have become world famous because of a thing that they've done. That's a story that they're telling themselves now. Right. Right. And if they take hold of that story, now there's a community or that's formed or a greater sense of community that's mm -hmm. formed. So um, all, all that to say, I think it's interesting that, you know, if we're content appreciation, or whatever is being reduced to snippets, I think that there's a, an inability or, or a, if not inability, a lack of awareness of the kinds of stories we're telling ourselves, mm -hmm. right? The, the stories we're being exposed to and how we compare ourselves to those heroes or to those villains mm -hmm. um, and, and our appreciation for following the thread of a character and so mm -hmm. on, like that's all missing, yeah. right? One of the only places you get that these days, actually, I, th I would say is in film, which mm -hmm. is sometimes unfortunate because the better stories don't mm -hmm. always make for the best selling films, yeah. Yeah. right? But so, I, it's it's the same. Like I mean, the, the, how to read a book that that like you said that that was it's a game changer. Everyone should go read it. Mm, but I, like, I agree, <laughs> it's so good. Uh, it's dry too. Oh my goodness, is oh, it dry? Right. <laughs> like, it really <laughs> makes you like. It's like okay. Do you realize? Do you think this is enough of a problem to have to work on it? Because it's going to be work to get through that book. But yes, it's yes. it's it's such a useful it's such a useful skill because yeah, it's like one thing that I I, I guess see. This maybe makes me a little bit optimism, even despite the the the, the really negative things I see about our, our content environment these days. Is that I I found a YouTube channel that I really liked, and it was pretty short form content, and it was well produced, and it was exciting, and it was funny. They're called Wisecrack. Okay, I'm not sure if you've heard of that channel. It was a great channel. Uh, actually, I've heard of it, but I haven't engaged it. I. I like subscribed to that channel and watched like almost every video since like two years ago. And it was like, it just caught me. It, it, it was well marketed and, and it, and it, it worked, but what the content of it was, it was like, I didn't, I didn't even know why I was watching their videos. It was just like, it was, I guess it was funny at first. They had these really funny um, takes just like summarizing the themes of movies and making fun of them from an alien's perspective. That's great. Earthling cinema. That, 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 that was a great, great, it was a great series. It was so funny, but it's like subliminally, they got me really, really interested in starting to actually pay attention to, oh yeah, what is this movie about? Mm -hmm. Like you, you kind of, you can get into the flow of just like, especially if you watch a lot of movies, it's just like, it's just kind of going through you and you're not really thinking about what it's about or, or, or what's in there or what would be useful even to take home from it. It's just like, it's a, it's a passive passive interaction but like when i started to realize how these interesting ideas they were pulling out of movies i was like wait that's in there that's like you can do that with a movie mm -hmm. it just it challenged me to start unpacking movies and just literature in general and then and it started to be like whoa you can there's like there's there's so much more that's happening whenever whenever you're engaging with something like this especially something that's well done like listening to listening to a good essay or listening to a good sermon, listening to a, a good speech or listening to a good reading a good book, watching a good movie. It's like what makes it good is that you could actually spend some time on it and your experience with it would get richer and richer the more time you spent with it. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm I'm a firm believer that a, a good we, 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 spoilers, right? Everyone talks about spoilers and no, don't spoil this, don't spoil that, yeah. right? It's like but I, a good book I genuinely can't be believe. 
Well, I, that's what I mean. I, I would say the, the mark of a good story is you can know the ending and still enjoy the ride. Yeah. Um, and that, that I think is, again, it's, it's an art form that that's not as featured prominently perhaps as it maybe would merit, uh, being, being featured in our society. But I mean, I say all of this and of course I've done very little myself to actually adjust any of these, you know, <laughs> these, these things like I'm, I'm painfully aware of some of these, these inadequacies in my own life. Like, um, well, actually, so my, probably my biggest, um, literary inspiration is Tolkien which is super normy and like like totally like but it's it, it's special. it's for good reason cuz he's so freaking good well but but the, okay but i don't know that a lot of people understand why he's good right right and and that that's the piece like there's so many like Tolkien knockoffs like game of thrones is just textbook Tolkien knockoff i don't care mm -hmm. who who whatever it's just it's just taking the fanciful world mm -hmm. Or kind of world that he made and and repackaging it, which is fine. Like I'm not I'm not opposed sure. to it. But like there there's something about the the genius of Tolkien that really is is timeless and um, it's it's actually beautiful. I didn't mean to get here, but seeing as we've naturally kind of arrived there, um, the moment that changed it for me was in my um, in my final class at at uh, school. There was a um, an assignment or a course that the specific course was designed to try and pull together all the different threads of everything you'd learned sort of, but between different um, disciplines. So it was like most of the majors all were in the same class where normally you, that wouldn't be the case. So you got to have sort of this interdisciplinary focus in the class, really cool capstone to a, a great, a great program. Hmm. And uh, one of the things that I came across in that program was this little um, leaflet uh, that Tolkien is authored called Tree and Leaf. If you haven't read it, absolutely read it. It, okay. it will blow your mind. Um, but Tolkien was a devout Catholic, right? And I mean devout. It was one of the bigger feuds between him and C.S. Lewis. And <laughs> C.S. Lewis is often championed as being this great, you know, um, you know, Christian thinker from sort of the 20th right. century, probably the greatest Christian thinker in the 20th century. Um, and uh Anyway, really great guy. Chronicles of Narnia, cool. They were close friends. Yeah. Uh, he went was an atheist who became a child, right? Yeah, but so he became a member of the Church of England, which Tolkien never forgave him for, <laughs> which is hilarious. <laughs> so he, he was so so mad he didn't become a Catholic. That's how kind of staunchly <laughs> Catholic Tolkien was, and I love it. Um, and there there's beautiful bits of um, just sort of faith that actually trickle into the the story that you, you might not pick up on if you weren't yeah. aware of that. For example, my favorite example is uh, lembas bread is actually modeled after communion. Uh, the, this bread that sustains mm -hmm. beyond what normal bread could. Interesting. Uh, that, that's actually it's not um, it's not an allegory. So he's not trying to make it a one to one sort of right. symbolic yeah. equivalence, but it was inspired by, and I think that's beautiful. But here's the point in this leaflet. Tolkien wrote an essay. It's called On Fairy Stories, right? That was the shorthand back okay. then for what we now call fantasy, right. which is a glorified term for what in his day it's fairy was, stories. <laughs> no, they were parade. It was a derogatory term. Yeah. Right. So he actually was writing this as an um, the term would be an apology, as a defense of the genre of fantasy, because it was being looked down upon in his day, right? And it, I think that's fascinating. And the lectures, what he gave at Oxford, it's a codified version of that lecture. It blows your mind. Um, not only is it great, he talks about the rules of fantasy and how it all operates, right? Which is, you know, cool in its own right to hear this masterclass talk about the principles that governed his own world building. Yeah. That's great, right? But he actually concludes that essay with a little statement talking about how the gospel uh, found in the Bible 
is the greatest fairy story because it's the only fairy story that came true, right? Which is just what what a thought, right? Like here here you have the epitome of the happy ending, right? You know, eternal life and goodness and and all of the things that we look to in the hope of of the good news of Christ. Uh, that's it's a fantasy, it's a fairy story, it's something too good to be true, and yet is, and I, I love that. Yeah. Now the other half of this leaflet is uh, it's called um, Leaf by Niggle. Now just hear me, Niggle, and a Niggle in British culture was somebody who uh, was very they procrastinate. They wouldn't wouldn't okay. get things done, right? They would just sit and and so on. So hear that distinction; it's an important one. <laughs> So the, the the story of this essay is that uh, Tolkien was asked by an, a magazine to write an autobiography, and instead he submitted this piece of fiction. Okay. <laughs> but but here that that is beautiful, okay? Because yeah. what the story tells is this this painter who has this vision in his mind for a tree, and he keeps adding panel after panel after panel to this masterwork that he's painting. Right, and there's this really annoying neighbor that he's got right next door, who's a gardener, constantly plugging away at the plants and so on in in the soil. And eventually, they have to go on this great journey, where they have to get on the train and go, and they find this meadow together. Right, and in the meadow, they actually discover the tree that Niggle had been painting, but it was real mm-hmm. this time. It, but it wasn't; it still wasn't quite finished. And he had to learn from his annoying gardener neighbor how to. F- finish tending this tree that he had worked so hard to paint and bring wow. it to be right before they move off over onto the mountains it's an allegory for his relationship with c.s lewis and how he came about oh. making the lord of the rings in the first place it was a, right. an idea that continued to grow and build and build and if it hadn't mm, been for this that is so beautiful well it is but but here you have paired together the rules that he sets out for how to write fantasy how to write a fairy story and then in the other, you have an example of how he does it, right? Yeah. So you've got this autobiographical work that is a beautiful piece of fiction. It has its right. own magical rules built yeah. into the world, but it doesn't go. He doesn't stretch beyond them. He doesn't try to explain them. Mm-hmm. It's just oh, he has, they have to go on a magical journey, and they end up in a meadow with a magic mm-hmm. tree or whatever, right? But it's beautiful and it's enchanted, and you buy it. You mm-hmm. you agree, like you get into okay, this is what Nickel is, is yeah. and I forget Gardner's name. Yeah. Anyway, masterclass of storytelling. And again, I, I mean, I could rant about how but that, beautiful that's, it, the, that's the masterclass in, in life living, though, it ends up being because you, we, we talked about telling, telling the story about the world to yourself and about yourself to the world and about other people to yourself and then to the world again. These are the ways that we interface with reality. This, this is, that's what life is uh, on, uh, from many angles. Anyways, it's, it's a, it's a, it's one of the most fundamental things about life is, is, is properly seeing and properly understanding, properly telling a story about life. And mm-hmm. he wasn't able to do it until, <laughs> until he went to his neighbor. Right. But, but I mean, I think that, that premise that you've touched on there, it's so fundamental to everything that we're talking about, right? It, it's this, this, I think, the, the capacity or the, the beauty of people who can learn how to hear one another's stories such right. that, they, that they actually listen Right, yeah. and who can who can share their own story in a way that's true to what they have understood and experienced? Right. Um, one other thing, though, that I do think merits mention, uh, not to transition too aggressively out of that talk about Tolkien, but again, I just I freaking love that guy, what a genius. Uh, but it, 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 we should also talk a little bit, probably, about descent and how important that actually can be. Um, and what I mean is, 
here we're talking about these beautiful, fanciful, almost hippie kind of ideas of loving people and hearing about what they have to say and sharing. And I think all of that's lovely and, and should be done. At the same time, not all ideas are created equal. And there are certain ideas that don't deserve the same level of scrutiny or charitability. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not to say that you still shouldn't hear those ideas out, mm -hmm. but there are certain concepts, ideas, practices, and so on that are simply false or mm -hmm. proven wrong or proven to be deficient. And uh, we don't have to pretend that those same ideas and concepts are on the same level as everything else, right? Um, I don't necessarily care to jump into another hot button issue or whatever, but flat earth would be an, a simple example of this yeah. where there's simply, there's a point that's not for dispute. It's not a matter of opinion. It's factually incorrect, right? Uh, that doesn't need the same platform as an idea about something like maybe climate change or, you know, I don't know, just poverty in general, whatever your issue happens to be. There can be contentious issues that are contentious for no reason. And they don't necessarily need to be, um, I'm not saying they don't need to be listened to because you still need to hear out that individual, right? That yeah. person matters and you need to care about that person. Yeah. But the idea that they are claiming to represent does yeah. not merit the same level of yeah. charitability. That's yeah. all I mean to say. So that, that distinction I think needs to be somewhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah, because yeah, the, the only virtue is not just being patient and accepting all ideas and, and just and, and totally enveloping every person that you want to talk to or every idea that you're going to listen to into yourself. There's still right. an element of judgment that's important. It's just that Hence right critical now... critical thinking. <laughs> yeah, look, looking at our current moment anyways, what we're struggling with anyways... Is to be is is to engage more deeply and, and to be more accepting of of ideas and of people and, and specifically people are probably a good place to start because the ideas mm -hmm. the, the the systems that are in place for organizing ideas and building a worldview there are are more intelligent and more deeply meaningful than the organization of information that that the internet is is using to to create and distribute content. Yeah, I mean, there's a person behind every username usually which uh, is something we have to pay attention to for sure. Well, I think we've, I think we figured it out. Yeah, we, we solved it. it. <laughs> Next issue. Okay. Society <laughs> is fixed. We got there. Well, dude, let's, let's actually, I, I, it might be fun to kind of dig into and unpack the whole descent thing. Another time that I, I literally wrote out a list of things I wanted to talk about with you and we didn't talk about any of them. So maybe we should oh. talk again sometime. Anyways, but yeah, yes, I, I'm getting sure. to the point where probably my uh, th this is the critical moment where where th this is enough information to fit in my brain that I could process in in a meaningful way. So we should probably end it here. Oh no, I'd, I'd say <laughs> rapping here is just fine. I I could you're very easy to talk with. I could continue doing so for quite some time. So well, considering my current venture, that's a, that's a really I appreciate that compliment. <laughs> Well, that was interesting. If you enjoyed this conversation, consider sharing it with someone else you think might find it interesting. Even better, try to find someone you think might disagree with something here and take some time to listen to their perspective. Try to have a meaningful, good-faith conversation. Practice listening deeply and patiently and speaking clearly and precisely. I think if we can get better at this, we might actually change the world. Anyway, thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time. Thank you.